This episode of the Inside Running Podcast is sponsored by New Balance. New Balance's Fresh Foam X version 12 range represents a revolutionary advancement in the material that cushions the high impact foot strikes that occur on roads, tracks, courts and fields everywhere. Informed by 3D motion captured pressure mapping and force application data gathered from real athletes, Fresh Foam is softness quantified. Welcome to episode number 231 of the Inside Running Podcast. Thank you for joining us for another week. Looking forward to uh, bringing you a big show this week. Going to talk about all the things that happened over the last week at the Australian Track and Field Championships. Bit of run for the kids chat in there. Um, all the other things we do. We've got a few different segments lined up for tonight to see how we go with time, which ones we get to and which ones we don't. And a big interview coming up, fresh off the press today. Luke Matthews uh, interviewed Charlie Hunter probably about four hours ago. I haven't listened to much of it, but um, I'm sure it's going to be good. So that will be at the end of this episode. Welcome to my co-host up in Canberra. Big week coming up for Canberra with the Canberra Marathon coming up this week. Bradley Croker, welcome to this week's episode. Thanks, Brady. Yeah, it should be uh, a good weekend, hopefully. And um, weather forecast looks okay for, for Sunday. What's it looking like? It's a bit uh, too like... early though, isn't it? Five, six, seven days out? Is it accurate yeah, yet? But... Well, compared to, like, tomorrow's pretty good, it's a Tuesday, but then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday is all pretty rubbish, but the forecast is for light winds, 12 to 22, maybe. Oh, perfect for marathon running. Mm, yeah. But it starts early, doesn't it? So you're going to get a, you're going to get it finished by the time it warms up too much. Yeah, quarter past six, the marathon starts. Oh, good, good. Big week coming up in your life. Hear a bit more about it in a second. My other co-host down in Anglesey, Julian Spence. Welcome to this week's episode. Thank you, Brady. How are you having me again? How are you going? Tolerating a non-runner on the pod. Yeah, what's this? The third week, you haven't done a run. I haven't done a run. Uh, you still run? Two, two weeks now. No, well, luckily I got a scan today on my knee and uh, Ali... Ali got the results. Well, she she looked at she didn't get the results, but she looked at the images and um, my like even I could tell there's just masses of bone edema on like the the chondral area of my femur, which is sort of the bit that juts into just below the kneecap. So that's a good decision I made not running. Uh, it's just like yeah, bad like basically bone stress. Oh really. So what does that actually mean? Is that well, like the operation yeah. hasn't gone to plan? And so no, much, no. too much, too much da- hard downhill running. What, too was, too hard yeah. too soon. No, like you'll always be guessing when you when you when you try to put like exact 
exact causes to this stuff. So it definitely probably like, well, I would say load related for sure, doing a lot. Didn't really get much warning sign. And I thought like my, in my head, I'm like the surgery is going well. The cartilage is cleaned up. Everything's healthy in there. If I'm not feeling any sort of niggle or soreness, then I'm good to go. And so off I went. And I probably needed to uh, just just temper the efforts a little bit and, and maybe back the, the volume down. But yeah, now I'm like two, like I got the scan today, three weeks with only two short runs. And it was so like this, the, the white bit that shows up on the bone that indicates swelling or inflammation or whatever, edema, it's, um, it's huge. So how so, long does Ellie think that that takes to heal? No, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I, I had the scan and then I went straight to the gym and I sent a message to Ali and I said, oh, I had the scan. The report should come on Wednesday. I just had a really great gym session. Like I was able to progress all my exercises and the knees feeling heaps better. So there's positives to this because the scan's showing a lot of things, but like the, the most important thing is the soreness is, is dropping and I'm able to do a lot more uh, like technical exercises on the knee, get more range out of it with my movements, um, add more weight to it, and generally be healthier, like with those sort of knee-related movements. So it's it's not all bad. It's just that that indicates that it that it, that it was pretty bad, and it, it's still not happy in there. So just be careful with it. Yeah, because like obviously you've been off it for two weeks. Imagine if you got scanned two weeks ago. Yeah, you'd think it would have been real upset, and I, I, I knew I shouldn't have been running. Like it was, I couldn't, I couldn't run through with how sore it was. But yeah, I've got a sports doc appointment, so we'll follow up on that. He can give some advice, and we'll wait for the actual report because there might be other findings. Like Ali can't read the cartilage side of it that well, so we'll we'll wait to what how they sort of report on the cartilage. Can't um, what I read? Isn't that what he does for a job? Well, I don't know. He'll guess. Oh, He's really? the biggest guesser at this shit ever. He'll tell you you got a stressy, and then like you'll come out, and the doctor will say, "No, nah, it's all fine." Oh, he just takes the photos. What I yeah, just presses, but, presses the button. Oh, he okay. presses the button, puts your puts in your gown on, and then he um he has a bit of a punt as he's doing it. <laughs> he looks at it and he's like, "Oh yeah, I reckon it could be this or this or this." And then tells the person. And then tells you as you walk out, he's like, "Oh, you're fucked, mate. You're <laughs> fucked. Or you're good to go." And actually, you really do have a stressy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love yeah. it. Have you been, yeah. doing, been doing any paddle boarding down there? Um, I yeah, I just got out before actually. I got out and it's good. Just a bit of blue doctor time. I'm getting better. I'm getting. I'm getting like my muscles, my shoulders, my back's getting more conditioned to it. So I'm I'm more comfortable. I'm. I actually croaks you like this. As I was gliding along the water tonight, I thought, geez, I'm covering it well out here today. It's <laughs> really smooth. Uh, yeah, just smooth, just mm. like a little bit more strength. And so I can, I can, I can grab, I can, I can sort of pull with more power. And when you've got more power, you glide further and you feel stronger. And I'm a little more upright. I can hold my head up stronger. I guess it's like a baby, like learning to do tummy time, like how their head can, can stay up over time. Well, I can like, I can... 
I'm, I was just thinking, if if this turns to shit, I'm going to do some sort of racing with this stuff. I'm going to get into it. It reminds me, Moose, of like times when I used to swim, where if I hadn't swum for months, I'd jump in, and within the space of like a few hundred meters, my arms are just completely cooked. Mm. But then, like two or three weeks later, you're pulling more water, and you're sort of getting that glide between strokes. So it's yeah. probably probably similar to how you feel on the board, I'd imagine. Yeah, you get a bit of buzz with it too. Mm. There'd be a bit about that lock it into flow state as well. You know what yeah. I mean? When you're smooth and you just lock in and it's kind of relaxing, it's not too hard on the body. It, it is rhythmic. Yeah. So, And when you're going downwind or down swell, you, you get a lot of, like, help. And, and so you can catch these little runners and all of a sudden it, it's, it's like um, cycling downhill. You don't have to put in much energy and you're getting pushed along. And you can you can move like you can go quick. So there's a guy there's a guy who set me up with the board. His name's Zeb Walsh. He pretty sure he won the Molokai Channel Crossing race, which is like the biggest paddleboard race in the world. And he's in Torquay, and I just sent him a message. I said, Hey, can I come for a, a paddle with you soon, just uh, just to learn the ropes a little bit more? Which I've held off because I didn't want to go out there as a real Spartan and like look like a, a wally in the, in the ocean next to him. So, but now I'm feeling a bit more confident. That should be interesting. Mm-hmm. Report back yeah. when that happens. Anything else yeah. happened in your life this past week that you want to talk about? Uh, well, we, well, yeah, Thursday we, um, Bree and I went down to Ballarat and we handed the keys over to the new owner of the store down there. So Alice Rowe, our manager, she's, um, she's taken the reins and, and yeah, we couldn't be happier that that the the person that bought our store, which um, has been a long sort of negotiation, like not a negotiation, but just a long process, um, is Alice. Because yeah, we we've like the store is in great hands. She's got great values, and um, we're really pumped for that. But yeah, that, the big announcement is that we we've sold Ballarat, so all our focus and energy now is at the running company in Geelong. Good work. That was what yeah. we were talking about last week when you didn't want us to guess stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was, and it was a bit of a sh- it was a bit of a shitavo to be honest, because we got down there. It was a real supposed to be a real celebration. Like we had the champagne ready, everyone was sort of real pumped for it. And about we do a last stock take, uh, and then during the like probably about fifteen minutes in, I started to feel real queasy, and then like, five minutes later did not make it to the bathroom, threw up all over outside, and <laughs> I had the worst gastro ever. At like for probably a three to four hour power period of just spewing and and pooing nonstop, and there wasn't a chance to to delay this. Like it, it, the settlement had to go through, and we had to do a stock take. So there was no choice in the matter. I just had to keep pushing through, and then about an hour after I first threw up, Bree started throwing up as well. So we're both there, like palm and peer off to one another. As the other one goes out to take a spew in the toilet, uh, it too was, much and, information, Brad. It, yeah, <laughs> what you never spewed when you had I gastro? Do, but there's people out there running at the moment, probably you know, K into their like their jog, and then you just listen to that. If you uh, got, you know, all beat. Everyone's yeah. been there. Yeah. Anyway. anyway, that was that was it. So it was um it was eventful, but starting. To feel, I'm still a bit cooked from the gastro, actually. Like it messed with my stomach so bad. And there's a real link, like I've always had a really strong link between my stomach health and, and how my like headspace is as well. 
And when my stomach starts playing up, I get in foul moods and I, I lose a lot of motivation and I like generally just feel real flat. So I've, and once you come off gastro, you eat shit food and your stomach still catching up from the, the trauma it's been through and then you're putting shit food in so it's not feeling very good. So I need to get back into a routine like of eating, eating good food and, and generally like the routine, like the, the routine of exercising helps me with my food decisions for the day. So if you work out in the morning, then you're gonna, you know you're going to eat properly immediately after and that sets the tone for the day. And I haven't been doing that just because um, I've been feeling so sick. How the mighty have fallen, Brady. Hey, the once 214 man is uh, a shell of himself at the man, moment. Man, I had three weeks off. I was winning big races down here over Christmas. <laughs> yeah. I'll be back again, don't you worry. Yeah, Jales Park, didn't you say? Jales Park. Oh, I wonder if I can jog around. Jales Park, 6K cross-country leg, two laps. Geelong's looking all right You're again. You're good at cross-country too, I reckon. Good at jogging around Jales Park. 6.2K, is it? Uh, six, maybe a bit shorter. You don't really worry about distancing cross-country, do you? you? Just get get to the handover zone. We'll have to look at – we'll have to look. Someone – you'll have the day off tomorrow. You can go through fastest time. Do you ever run Jales, Brad? Fastest no, time haven't. ever. No. Fastest time between us. Oh, you got me one year, I reckon. I reckon. You've run faster since last year? Nah, because I always get stuck. Because I'm like the fifth or sixth mm. runner in our team, I always get the, the leg that's like second last or last. I'm time trolling out there. you got to run yeah. the first leg if you want to have a crack of good time. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think you compare times over different legs. Yeah, you can. You can't. You only, can. If, only if you got the Everyone runs time, you the can. same course, mate. Yeah, but one of them it's a race, the other one it's a time trial, and you're running, nah. you're lapping people. Then you go being so far back that you'd never be in a race. Whereas Brady, up... you do, you do time. You basically race every session on your own in a Chukamoama. <laughs> yeah, we're not, no not good at cross country time trials. You're not good at cross country full stop. I'm all right. Come eleventh at the Australian Champs one year cross country. Was that the one in Albany where it cost eight grand to get there? No, this one was in Tassie. I went to. <laughs> very, very, very competitive. It was. Uh, yeah. Very competitive. I reckon a UK guy won it, Ben Moreau. I reckon, oh, no, maybe Mitch Brown beat Ben Moreau. That was back yeah. in the, the glory days. Anyway, so you're going all right. Brad, tell us what you're doing. Uh, yeah, still still ticking along. Um, did an hour on Monday, uh, 4.14. So uh, my easy runs pace is definitely like just coming down a little bit for like similar effort. Um, so I guess that's a good sign. Then Tuesday morning, I jumped on the treadmill, just did 35 minutes um, around sort of 440s. Then that afternoon was track. Uh, so I did 400s of 30 seconds recovery. Uh, I ended up doing 18 of them. Uh, I did 17 the last time I did it. Um, a little bit quicker this time around. So I, would have, so I think the slowest rep was 74 and the fastest was 68. Um, so I ended up averaging like 72s for the 18 um so it ended up being like a solid set like pace wise was all was like quite comfortable but it just it just becomes a bit of a grind off the off the short rest um but it was a nice little progression from i don't know three or four weeks um previous where i think average like 75 76s or something like that it was definitely a little bit harder than three weeks beforehand but um yeah i was happy to to get through that one i had a nice little pack as well there was i think four of us sort of taking turns of of leading so certainly made made the job a little bit easier 
Um, then Wednesday after work, I uh, did 90 minutes, 4.13s um, out at Mulligan's. Thursday, just my 45-minute loop, 4.14s. Um, I'm trying to think which day it was during the week. Like Tuesday, I didn't feel quite as poppy as what I had um, other sort of track sessions. And I was wondering whether it was just, you know, this was sort of like my third sort of big-ish week in a row. Um, but then later in the week, I just started to feel um, – I started to get like a bit of an itchy nose and um, – yeah, like the odd sort of sneeze here and there. So I don't know if I have a bit of a bit of a cold. Um, yeah. So anyway, four fourteens I ran on Thursday for forty five minutes. Then my session on Friday, and so actually I decided not to do a double on the Friday because I'm like, oh, just haven't felt amazing this week. Um, but then got out for the session in the afternoon, which was on the treadmill. Did six by six minutes, one minute rest. So it was a nice little progression from two weeks previous where i did six of them at um 17 and a half k an hour which is like 326s and this time around i did two at that pace and then i did four at 18 k an hour which is 320s and yeah felt really smooth once again one of those sessions where you finish it and you you know you could do another you know two reps or whatever if you had to and then uh, mulligans again on saturday for an hour 411s and then decided, oh, and then that afternoon, treadmill again, um, 35 minutes. And then Sunday, decided I'd do a bit of a flatter run around the lake with um, Rob, uh, who's running the marathon on the weekend. So he was only doing 90 minutes. So I went out and did like uh, 8K beforehand and then just basically ran one big lap of the lake. Uh, average 407s, which sort of every time I run around the lake on the on the bike path, it makes me realise like how much easier it is when it's flat and it's road versus mulligans. Cause like if I'm like I did twenty nine K in two hours and like I finished and felt like felt great. Like I could have run another 30, 40 minutes. Um, whereas normally like, uh, you know, if I run that same pace at Mulligan's, it's, it's a pretty solid run. So uh, 140, just over 140 K for the week. Um, yeah, feeling pretty good. I, I'm going to go and get a COVID test actually tomorrow just to make sure I don't have it. Cause I just, um, a bit of a sore throat like developed today. Um, and I've still sort of got that, um, a bit sort of uh, runny nose and that sort of thing. So, um, I feel fine. Like, you know, I went and ran this afternoon and felt, felt great running. Um, but I just want to, yeah, just got a bit of a sore throat. So something's obviously not quite right. Heart rate high, the Savo though. Uh, no, why? So Danny, no, the only time I put the strap on is, um, uh, for sessions. So the rest is just wrist heart rate. Okay. So I'm not sure how accurate it is, but it was real, like according to the wrist heart rate, it was pretty low, low yeah. this afternoon. Mm. Looks good bars actually, but yeah, it's like I've had a, moose, two hours, like, four sevens, and I could have done another 30, 40 minutes yeah. for that pace. I said cool. to Rob as we're finishing, I'm like, this is the first long run in like since I had my calf and COVID where I've actually felt like I wanted to or could have gone to like two and a half hours, which um, is generally a good sign. I think I said a few weeks back that a sign for me that I was always fit was like feeling like you still got plenty of running left in you at the end of long runs. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's all good. I'm thinking about having maybe a bit of a down week this week just with um, the marathon on the weekend. So I'll probably do my long run on the Saturday and maybe not go quite as long. So, but well, I've, I've had race the, the 10 or the half at Canberra this weekend, late entry. Oh, Cause I'm handing out drinks to all. Oh, like okay. I've got, yeah, I've got fair a fair enough. few, 
athletes running. So yeah, I'll right. hand out drinks. Um, yeah. I'll give you that one. You could have nearly won like both of those, I reckon, though. <laughs> I haven't heard <laughs> any names up there. Yeah, I don't know who's running, but uh, yeah, no, I'm like, in. I'm like, I don't, well, I don't really know how fit I am because I, you know, like the 400 session, like it's, it's okay. It's nothing, nothing special. Like, look what, like you're running bloody mid sixties. Yeah, sixty you know, six. Yeah. Like, so I'm not, obviously not going that well if I'm running 72s. Yeah, but you can parent um, yourself with a real big dog if you're going to do that, mate. It's like me well, saying. Well, that doesn't tell you much either. We've learned that, surely. If you, well, do, that, if you do 18 of them, it does, though. You can wing your way through 10 of them. You can't well, win right, 18. Well, so so, so here's, here's the difference, though. So you're running your reps like six seconds a lap faster than me. I guarantee you if we raced, you wouldn't be 15 seconds a kilometre ahead of me. What do you mean? Over what distance? Well, well, that's so over sessions at the moment. You're running, you're running 400 meter reps six seconds per rep faster than what I am. So six seconds over 400 is 15 seconds a kilometer. I guarantee you wouldn't be. Uh, yeah, we're training be, for different things though. Yeah, I'm just saying that you're obviously training pretty. You're, like, you're doing your sessions pretty hard. No, it's pretty easy that one. I'll talk about it in a second though. But it had. Yeah. You noticed how every six we change gears. No. Did you anyway. notice that? No, nah, but um, yeah, like, no, body's good, and uh, yeah, I guess it's hard to know at the moment how fit I am because like one session a week's generally on the treadmill, which who knows whether how accurate that is. But the main thing is I'm like enjoying enjoying my running, absolutely loving getting out the door and training. I reckon um, the long runs the key though. If you're feeling good in long runs, that's a good sign of fitness. Mm. What about so? How many weeks do you got to Sydney? Ten? What three uh, weeks I think yesterday? I think it's four. I think it's four. I think it was four weeks from last, from yesterday. Is that a Saturday or Sunday race? Sunday. It's a Sunday race, yes. Yeah. So four weeks from yesterday. So you're going to have a rust buster, aren't you? Like park run, not this weekend, next weekend. Uh, I think I'm just going to do a hard lap of mulligans, actually. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm just looking for the right time to do Is that. Is that going to tell you much though? Uh, not like, really. It but, it's, but it's more about the effort. Yeah, it's I know. But like, you want to put the effort in. But if it doesn't tell you, I reckon it would tell you though. If have you got something same... to compare it to? No, I haven't. I've never done. That's what I mean. all, I've never done an all-out effort around that loop. Um, like I've done that loop as part of sessions, but I've never gone like flat out around there. Didn't before um, BY you did like a maybe two or three laps around there, pretty solid. No, I used to do the I used to do the hillier section for that. Oh, okay. Whereas the loop is loops a bit. Um, the loop's the one that you ran, so it's not that yeah. hilly. Yeah, it's pretty like twisty, turny, and rocky and stuff too. Yeah, like it's pretty yeah. technical. But you know what I mean, like the rust buster. The rust buster, though, if, if you're training within yourself, it's more about just hurting yourself to sort of just get yourself ready for for the race, so that when you then go, when you then go to race, it's not so foreign in terms of like pushing that hard. So, like the pace is not really that important. Yeah. It's more just it's more just getting a really hard effort in. Or just even um, say you're on the track between now and Sydney ten just working like the second or you know the last two or, or the last rep or something yeah well just that last time i did in. last time i did k's you know like i worked down my last two like 307 and 303 so like i don't really need to be going any faster than that anyway nah punch a 248 or something i reckon <laughs> just really put yourself in the pain cave not like you brady you haven't been there for a long time croaks Racing's right. completely different yeah Great. but i wasn't i never did anything so when i went and did that 5k last year in sydney like I didn't do too many. Like I didn't race before that. I did a three k in nine minutes, and that's about it. Mm, this Sydney ten is going to be different than that Sydney five k though. It's a few big hitters rocking up to this one. 
Yeah, but that doesn't that doesn't change the way that I race. Nah, you still got to try and smash them, Crooks. I reckon. Represent the podcast. See, anyway. Clifford entered today. I saw that promotion. Yeah, Clifford versus Croaks Moose. Who you got over ten? Clifford. Clifford. Right. I reckon you're fit, Croaks. I reckon you're um, you're going up, Brady. Uh, wasn't intending to, wow, but this is Archie. Archie's told me he wanted to um do it today, so I'll yeah. put it in his program. But opportunity to come and tell up an old man. Yeah, I've got to get that. What were you oh, saying like last week? Do you reckon I'm two zero or something? Don't you? Your two zero, our head to heads. Three mm, zero, I think. Oh, what about? I reckon if you don't. No, what about Berlin Marathon? Got you that day because you're DNF. Oh. That counts. You're going to count those ones, are you? Yeah, I reckon anyone you pull out, of I'll take. Start, I'll take. I'll that. take. I'll take a Sydney ten, a Gold Coast half, and a Albert Park ten. I reckon just the Albert Park ten because I didn't even know you in the other two races. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You reckon? <laughs> yep. All right, I'll tell you about my week away. That's, inter- that's pretty good. Yeah, but he hasn't raced for the last two or three years. Doesn't matter. <laughs> the record's the record. Yeah. And, and, now, and now and now, anytime you beat me, it's like, well, how do you feel beating a 42-year-old? Yeah. You should beat a 42-year-old. Yeah, but I was only 16 when you beat me in those other races, and you're like 27. Yeah. How old were you in 2015? Doesn't matter. I'm going to go through my uh, week Monday. Late, the... mid-20s? No, probably. No, I don't know. 2015. I was just starting running, I reckon. Uh, Monday, 12.7K. I don't know. What, oh, yes, I do because I um, I was laid out the door that day, so it was 57 minutes at 4.29 pace. Uh, doing a bit of promotion of the uh, the Benigo Bats podcast on my Strava there. If you want to go check that out, hear about how the Benigo Bats are going to shape up for 2022. Make sure you uh, check that out, listeners. Had like 2,500 downloads, fellas. Need a few more, but it's good to see the Bat support there. So that's nice. That's 2,000 was Andy Buchanan. Just type in, um, yeah, just type in Tell Me Your Tales or something on your podcast feeds or check out my Strava, listeners, if you want to know where to go there. 30 minutes in the afternoon. Uh, 4.25 pace, just did a good good loop after work. Tuesday was the workout you're talking about, Croaks. Uh, went over to Shepparton with Archie, he drove. Because did I tell you, someone's been hammering nails into the, the tyres of my car. I'll tell you this. Huh? I've had oh, like, no. I've had three nails through the tyres of me, uh, of me Kia. Someone's, <laughs> I don't know, I, the first one I thought I would just drove over, and I'm like, oh, this is a bit of bad luck, I've got a nail through my tyre. And then, yeah, the next day. It's not Archie, not art, is it? What, in Shepparton? No, 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 this is just, I don't, I don't know when I got them, but I'd just be driving to work and my car would be beeping at me saying I've got to check the tyre pressure. And then i go to the servo and pump them up and then i notice there's like a nail in there. So I've been it's down the aisle. Archie, Archie thinks he deserves the key of sponsorship. It's not, it's not Archie because now he's got to drive to Shepparton and he's, he's got to use his car for petrol. So Archie was the one who drove over there. I've got it fixed though. It was all good to get me to Melbourne back on the weekend, but that was a bit of inconvenience last week. Uh, drove over to Shepparton. In the warm-up, it was really weird. I um, I didn't realise. I only had my like, stopwatch face showing, but we were kind of just ticking along. My second K was 4.02 and my third K was 3.55. And I never jog at that pace. And it felt like it was like 4.30s. And I thought my GPS must be wrong. Then Archie's like, no, no, I've got the same on my watch. So I must have like, just had this unbelievably good like pop i don't know what it was because i'd sat in the car for an hour to get over there but um straight out of the car into the warm-up felt really good our well my workout we did two kind of different workouts so archie went off and did like uh i think it was like a two and a half k threshold he kind of went like up and down the kind of road out the front of the athletics track because i was doing ideally to start off with i had the plan was three sets of six 400s 
um, the first set in 70s, the next set in 68s, and the last set in like 65s. Um, and then what happened was, and this is with 45 seconds walk in between them, and we tried to time it when Archie came back from his threshold, I'd be kind of doing my lap uh, recovery in between the sets. But we got the timing wrong and he kind of got back just as I was finishing the fifth one and I didn't want to make him wait for too long. So um, I did the first 12 without having a break in between the sets. So, and it actually felt really good. I felt, this was a, yeah, this was good because I was like, this feels good. Haven't been on a track for ages. It's real, like honest, you know, how sometimes you do loops on, on the road and you're not sure if the GPS is right or anything like that. Like, but when, whereas when you're on the track, you know, it's legit. So yeah, the first set was like 68, 70, 69, 70, 70, 69. And then he jumped in and we went 68, 67, 67, 66, 66, 65. And then he had a lap jog and I changed into spikes just because I've got to get my cast ready for this stall, um, stall mile, which is coming up in maybe three weeks today, I think. And then, um, yes, yeah, so that was probably a bigger break for me. I think it was about three minutes. And then I jogged backwards to meet him with about 100 meters to go on the track. And then we went 65, 63, 65, 64, 64, 62. So, um, yeah, good workout and it felt pretty comfortable. 45 seconds, I think, is just enough. Like 30 would have been really hard. A minute probably would have been too long. Amazing the difference you feel in the spikes, like biomechanically just completely different than when in the next percents for the first um, 12. But, yeah, good workout. I'm hoping I can string, you know, I haven't seen my handicap for stall yet, but I think I'm probably going to have to run. 64s um so it was good to be out of average 64 for the last four there and hopefully i can string four of those together come race day to be a bit of a shot at the store gift uh I don't, sorry I don't, it, it confuses me this workout like you're running 64 average with nah, a lot of 60 66 average for the whole thing all right which is what 3k pace yeah or probably 3K, 3k pace but you you did run it quite a bit um, faster as well throughout the workout. So you're yeah, doing the last six were faster than that. Yeah, that was um, sixty four average for the last six. Fifteen hundred so meter pace. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. 15, yep. <laughs> so that's two and a half k at fifteen hundred meter pace with only forty five seconds rest uh, after during, doing after during doing race week and during race week twelve already. Um, <laughs> Maybe I'm in shape, fellas. It, it, like if I'm looking at this on paper i'm thinking okay well if you do 18 of these they're gonna have to be like 66 plus and and you can do shorter rest but like that's okay but you don't want to be rolling these too quick because the volume will get out of hand with the pace with that short rest Hmm. like if you're running if i'm giving someone four four hundreds at um three at 3k pace they're getting more than 45 seconds rest and they're not doing eight not you didn't do 18 of them but you did a fair few of them under 66 yeah it just especially it's just, it's just hard like especially when i missed the lap jog between the first set and the second set yeah this would be this would be an example of of having a workout and going okay like we need to tweak something here because it's it's very very hard and and what should have been tweaked in my mind, you should have stayed at sixty six or. Well, I yeah. needed to find that. I wanted to do work at that fifteen hundred meter pace though. Well, then if do you know what I mean, but that's a different workout. Like well, do two hundred then. Yeah. Like, 
cut them to 200 and if and it's go the pace, 32, you reckon? Yeah, if it's the pace that you want, if you're wanting, then don't deficit yourself so much. Or t- chuck the 45 out to a minute 30 or something. Like give yourself adequate recovery if you're going to be punching um, 400s that quick. He, said, might... it was, he said it was easy, Moose. He it said was, it was an easy yeah. session. Yeah, well, I know well, the it's first, not easy. I know like, I don't it's know. Not, yeah, no, no, I don't no. Know you can say it's easy. The, well, the first six were easy. That's my like 10K pace. So yeah, six that's... 400s at 10K pace with 45 seconds. Yep. So and that, then... that workout is easy if you do 18. It's not, it's, if you do 18 of them, then that's the workout. I did right. 20, before Melbourne, I did 20 off 30 in 68. And once you, once, you? once you get that, sorry, Brad? How'd that work out for you? So before what do you mean? like well, well, don't go yeah. here again. <laughs> <I had it. laughs> like so like how did that how did that like correspond to your marathon time running 68 to 400s? Yeah, I ran we've talked about this. I was proud of that race. I ran 220. All right. I I think for me the workout is 20 to 25 by 10 by 400 but they they're at 10k pace or they may be towards 5k pace if you get carried away. That's okay. And then you have 30 seconds, 45 seconds rest. Short rest should be corresponding with slower paces and hmm. higher, higher volume. Fast yeah. paces, longer rest, less volume. But you've somehow combined both of them. And that's the scary bit to me with a workout like this. Scary in his, as in like unachievable or like well, injury loses, risk. Loses purpose to a degree. Like you, you you take it from being a good workout into like a very, very high stress um, activity. And, and this is like where in the past you've been, you were quite good in the lead up to Melbourne, like being sensible. But in my mind, this one, like just looking at this, I didn't even see this workout before today. Um, and I think, oh, damn, that's like you can, you can do a better workout than that. If you stick to the purpose, I don't think you need to cut down to three k pace at the end of eighteen four hundreds in race week, like you said. They were it was, wasn't race week. That's yeah. They were well, like they were fifteen hundred meter pace though the last ones. Yeah, yeah, they were faster, right? They were, so, like, if you want, if you want to turn the legs over, run the two, run them in two, run two hundreds. Yeah, which I could if I agree with you. Like that's the purpose of them to get used to fifteen hundred meter pace. Okay, Brady, ask yourself this. Yeah. Would you ever give this workout to someone? Um, Would you ever write 6 by 400 at 1,500-meter pace at the end after doing 12 with 45 seconds break? Nah, probably not. And that's probably why Archie was doing a threshold and then jumping in for the last 12. Well, that, not that doing was my that other end. question. That was my other question. Yeah, well, it was his race week. So he was priming for, for run for the kids. Like He was, he was hitting that fresh. Okay, but if, if if you had like Brady three weeks from now in a decent training block, would you like you wouldn't ever prescribe that? That workout. The workout that you've given yourself. Depends who it is. It's hard to say. Hard to say who it is. I don't know. I don't reckon you would ever write that. I don't. I reckon you would look at it and I go. I think you oh. look at the first twelve and you're like, that's pretty, pretty easy. Like you're doing. That's a that's a that's a pace I can do twenty five laps at, and the second set was a pace that I can do twelve and a half laps at. Yeah, and you've did twelve laps already at it. Yeah, with breaks. With short breaks, forty five not that much. 
Anyway, anyway. I just, I, I wouldn't, I, I, maybe I'm. We can agree to disagree. Maybe I'm a soft coach. You're a hard ass. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, the session was, yeah, it wasn't, I would say, a B-plus workout, like not a high-stress workout. Um, but, yeah, anyway. Disagree, disagree. Well, I was the one doing it. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I can tell you how I felt about it. But you've it. just told me you did six 400s at 1,500-meter pace. Yeah. Like, that you would normally have, you would normally have at least a minute between them, and then you probably wouldn't do more than, like, 10 of them. But, hey, Brady, back when I was running 1,500 meters, we used to do sets of... 400s and we used to do sets of four and if i did four of them off a minute recovery at 1500 meter pace like you know 60 seconds 61 at the time like you know you, you then take a big break in between those four after those four 400s and then you can so string I would, I would, four of those together in a race i would say that that's high stress but i'm saying you, you did like four of them on, on their own off one minute recovery is is a set and then i would take three to five minutes recovery before i do any more and you've done six of them off 45 seconds fit fellas maybe that's it maybe i'm just fit maybe you're a 345 man you just haven't run it yet just don't tell stool gift hey could affect my handicap <laughs> oh, yeah. this is where you you might this will all be getting cut we just gotta wait for our handicaps to come out we yeah. might replay this in a few weeks after you run a four minute mile and all of a sudden well, I'm not going to run a four minute mile because I couldn't do any of those relapse at four minute mile pace well, and also you don't run a mile because you're off like however much yeah I don't know what I'm off yet hopefully I find out soon in the afternoon anyway boys I got out for 30 minutes at 4.42 um, Wednesday recovery day 10k in the morning 4.45s and then half an hour in the afternoon 4.45s bit late that one 7pm got to stop doing those ones now daylight savings is done otherwise they're going to be a bit uh, yeah don't like running in the dark at that hour Thursday, uh, Hugh Van Kylenberg. I've been listening to his second book as an audio book, so I listened to that for an hour 45 at 425s. Just backed off slightly. Like, I've been probably averaging 410s for that 145 the last few weeks. Just wanted to back off knowing that I was going to Melbourne for a run for the kids. Did uh, 30 minutes Thursday afternoon at 436s. Then Friday, did 10K in the morning. Just ran from my front door. Did uh, four by two minute strides in there around about 310 pace. Felt like junk, just windy. You know when you like drive to a workout and you get that kind of up and about feeling and then when you do it in a location that you don't usually do it in, you're just not as pumped up and it's just like a bit of a chore. That's exactly what this was like. Um, then got out for 30 minutes post work at 432 pace. Saturday, Got out for 50 minutes at 4.29 with Luke Millard. He was a Bendigo Bats guy. Well, he is a Bendigo Bats guy who was in Echuca for, um, in Moama, playing some golf at Rich River Golf Club. So it was good to see him up here. Showed him some local trails. He was doing his long run. And then Sunday, fellas, run for the kids. Um, this was good. 14.8K. The old course backwards moose. But I think the old course might have been 15. So he must have done something different. Probably one of those. Do you go past Spencer Street? Yeah, we finished there. You know that Collins Street Hill? Yeah. Yeah, so we finished at the bottom of the Collins Street Hill. Oh, you near, run down the Docklands hill to finish? To finish, yeah. But you oh. probably hit the uphill at like the aquarium. You know where the aquarium is there? Hit the uphill there and then turn left up Collins Street with Spencer yeah, shooting yeah, the right. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. That was the last K. So a really weird last K having like a, a big climb and then a steep downhill as well. And then you finish, start at Docklands down there and then finish at Docklands like just a... I don't know, probably 600 metres back from where you started. Um, great course. I loved it. It was a great field. 
Um, Liam Adams' gun went. He went flying up the road, and so did uh, the Ethiopian guy, Abiri Bilay. He was the guy that was in the lead pack at Melbourne Marathon for a while. Can you remember with Ed Goddard and Tom DeCano and that? Brett, Brett Robinson? I reckon he pulled out oh, about yeah. 25K. 209 yeah. guy, I'm pretty sure. And now he's, he's in Australia. Not sure um, what his story is, why he's here, or what, what's the go, but he's, yeah, I'm pretty sure he ran 209 back in the day. And um, yeah, he's been popping up at a few Australian fun runs and things like that. So, um, or 208 actually. He's ran 61 and 208. So uh, it says he's 27. That can't be right. Because he ran that time in 2013. Jeez. Yeah, I did. Is he? He not the guy who came over on a team and stayed one time. Like, was there? Or he came over to the Melbourne Marathon and then, um, yeah, then not sure. I yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure either. But he did pop oh, up. Yeah, yeah, he ran Melbourne Marathon in 2014. Ran 212. Come third. Um, and has he been in Australia ever since that? Yeah, because I raced him at that Collingwood Classic 5K a couple of, um, or probably this time last year, and he went out super hard, and then we kind of went past him, and I think he ran like 14.45. So I wasn't sure. Like, you see him at these races and a few DNFs, and you're never sure what kind of shape he's in. So um, him and Liam went off the front, and then we had an awesome pack just, like, racing for that third spot. So, uh, like, my training partners, Archie Reid, Nathan Stoke were in there, uh, Alistair Christie, you know this guy Moose, he ran, runs for Doncaster. Nah, I've never heard of him. Yeah, neither did I. And then I was talking to him at the end, and then I looked him up, and he'd run like fourteen fifteen last week. And I'm just like, <laughs> who are these guys? Like, yeah, fourteen fifteen and eight thirteen. Hello. Um, um, not exactly sure. Actually, I've got his IWF open here. Twenty four, twenty four. He ran thirty mm. thirty in Canberra Crooks, eleventh of April two thousand and twenty one. That be Canberra Marathon. Mm, yeah, it would have been. Yep. Yeah, he ran thirty thirteen at that same race at um at Sticks Kernahan broke thirty minutes in the B grades out of pack. So mm-hmm. he was in the pack as well. Um, who else was in there? Dave Ridley was in there, and Matthew Schoenberg from Western A's raced him a couple of times as well. He had a blinder actually. Anyway, we let the first two guys go. Um, pretty much ran as ran as a group. Archie kind of broke away with us going over the Balti. Then we kind of picked him back up. Um, big group of us over the west gate a bit windy going over the west gate so we kind of slowed a bit over there went through 5k in 15 11 and um felt really good like considering that was with the climb in it like the bridge to still hit a 15 11 5k i was pretty surprised with because i wasn't looking at any splits and then yeah when we we're coming up to the 5k marker i was like come on hopefully this is like 15 40 ish because i was thinking i wanted to average about 308 and then I was, um, yeah, super surprised to see 15.11, and it felt like smooth as well. Then we dipped into the tunnel, and Archie made a bit of a move there again, and um, Matt and Nath went with him, and then Alistair and Dave and I kind of formed another pack. Then probably at about 10K, uh, Alistair put a move in. We got... Um, well, Brady, at that yes. time... Yeah. Why, why didn't you go with Nathan Archie? I tried to. So when they made the initial move, I tried to cover it, and then I just couldn't keep up. And then it was – I don't know exactly when the move was because we just went past the 7K mark, and then I looked at, like, what the time was for 7K, and then at 8K I looked again, and I'd ran a three-minute dead K, and they must have ran, like, a 255. Like, I just couldn't – yeah, just literally couldn't keep up with them. Like, tried to cover it, but, yeah, couldn't, couldn't cover it. Um, and they probably got – 20 seconds ahead of us i reckon in the next kind of couple of k's 
And then, yeah, it was Alistair um, and Ridley and I running together back through the gardens. And then I kind of just moved away from Alistair and Dave just as we were coming back near the skate park there before we hit um, South Bank. And then just ran super, yeah, it just felt amazing. It, like, it's probably 12K through there. Um, and I reckon I got the gap back to about 10 seconds from Nath, Matt and Archie. But then they started kicking away to kind of race for that third spot. And just, um, yeah, I just couldn't pull him in. And yeah, Nath got third. He was, what, 20, 22 seconds ahead of me. And Matt was, um, yeah, fourth. And then Archie was uh, fifth, 10 seconds ahead of me. So, um, yeah, good run in the end. I was stoked with that. Like, average 306 for nearly 14K. Um, and I definitely didn't think I was anywhere near that shape. Like, I was kind of thinking 308s, 310s was probably going to be um, where I'm at because I've run that course. Yeah, the best I've averaged on that course is 308s. And it's backwards, so it's, it's obviously going to be some difference. But, um, yeah, it's kind of showing that this kind of new system I'm kind of putting in place with this this less intensity in workouts and um, that medium long run and the good long run on a Sunday is kind of uh, working for me because obviously I had some challenges there when, when Olivia was born. Like I wasn't sure how I was going to manage with, uh, yeah, training with two kids and uh, work hours and things like that. But yeah, I was over the moon to, to be that close to those boys because I know how fit all those guys are there that were in front of me. It so is was, a good run from you. Well, I was obsessed That's, with it. I couldn't yeah. believe it. I was buzzing on the way like, way back. Um, good pace. And, yeah, it's, I mean, you're right. Those two are a little, little more advanced than you. They seem to be beating you in everything right now. So it's sort of fitting that you were a little behind them. But then you beat the best of the rest, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, that Alistair Christie, like he's, as I said, he ran 14-15 last week. Um, that was the same race that Nathan Archie ran 14-18 in. So you're kind of coming in with a lot of guys who are – fit at the moment um yeah so yeah was, right so he beat archie in that race no nah, he was no nah, he was with me with 2k to go and i put no no uh, he beat archie in the 5K. yeah sorry in that 5k yeah. race but yeah but he, like i put yeah 35 seconds into him into the last two and a half k like i'll cover the ground real well coming through south bank there i was pretty stoked with it and then yeah. um yeah crossed the line said a few uh, congratulations and then went and, and did the high five with Carly. She went to the start line. I got Olivia and then, yeah, I stuffed up though, fellas, because I went and had a shower. I took Olivia down to the finish line. We were planning to see Carly with, uh, with about 500 metres to go, but I didn't realise that the uh, short course had a different finish than the long course. So I'm standing with 500 metres to go at the long course, watching everyone come in, and she's uh, finishing yeah. on a complete different road, like around the corner. So, uh, yeah, I was getting a bit worried because she sent me a message when she had, like, a K to go. She was like, I've got a K to go. I'm nearly there. And I'm like, good work. We're just up on the right-hand side with about 500 metres to go. And then, like, 10 minutes passes. We still haven't seen her. And I'm like, oh, no, she's collapsed or she's had a really bad last K or whatever. But, yeah, it turns out she was finishing in a completely different spot. So, um, yeah, not good husband points there. But it was great to see her there. Like, it was all about her. And she, uh, yeah, she went quicker than yeah, 35 minutes and... Like this is a this is a lady who was having her stomach cut open. Yeah, uh, that's pretty 30, good. Thirteen around. weeks ago, yeah. Like it's amazing what the, yeah that people do. Um, yeah, mums, women, like their their body is phenomenal. What they can do. So um, yeah, she was she was pretty stoked to get that. And just that whole race just hits home completely different now that you've got kids. Like I've done it heaps of times without kids, and you know the money's going to the Royal Children's Hospital and things like that. But what like nearly broke me when I was standing there watching the finishes and like had Olivia in the pram and then like people will be well people were running with prams 
but with instead of having like babies in them, they had like picture frames of their children who had passed away. And I'm just like, fuck, like it's just it's just so emotional. Like you're just standing there with your healthy kid in a pram and you're watching people like probably, you know, ten people, same T shirts, the kids' pictures on the back of the T shirt and stuff like that, and you're like, Oh, it's an it's an empty pram, but they're kind of doing it to, to honour their child and stuff. So um yeah, amazing race that raises so many good funds for such a worthy cause. So um yeah, it was good to be back on the streets of Melbourne. Did half an hour in the afternoon when I got home, just at a five oh three pace, just to kind of shake out post uh yeah, post drive, 145k for the week. But pretty banged up now. I've got to um just respect that I've had a bit of heel stress in there because I don't get to run in them that often and got a fair bit of DOMS, so I don't think I'll work out again until about Friday at this stage, but I'll just wait and see what the body tells me and um yeah. Do a bit of speed work between now and stall. We'll get going, fellas. In a good spot. Good race from you. Thank you, Moose. Brad, any comments? Don't rate it like my Melbourne performance? No, good good job. Good job. I just wasn't, uh, well, when we got off air last week, it was your racing. And then about, I don't know, what, 12 hours later, you start sandbagging it by saying, oh, yeah, I'm doing a session and then I'm going to do my long run on Thursday. Well, I still do an hour 45 on Thursday. And, it went into and, heavy. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm just going to tempo it. He doesn't so, like it, Moose, when I'm going all right. He doesn't like it. Are you going to say that was a tempo now? No, it was a threshold. I'm going to call it a threshold. Okay. I definitely didn't dig that deep like I had. When you actually do run your thresholds that fast. Well, that's the thing. Since I've been working on this new system, I've been doing all my thresholds at 3.15 pace. So this new system that I'm working on is Tuesday threshold work at like 3.12 to 3.15 and then I, because you can't, you can't have the intensity if you're going to do that hour 45 and then two hours 15. And then my workout on Fridays have just been 303s. Like I just, every every Friday, I'm just doing short reps at 303s. So then I was amazed that I could jump straight into, you know, 45 minutes at, um, yeah, 306s. Something in it, yeah. fellas. Long runs well, get you fit. Don't worry about the quality of the workouts. How do you go up the hills? Yeah, it was good. I'm all right up the hills. I'm telling you this all the time. Like when we went up the Balti, I'm like, people slowing down around me and I was feeling all right. It's just that it's not because I'm, yeah, I know I'd never get to run on them, but I think I'm all right when it comes to racing on them. I think it's my biomechanics and my frame not carrying much weight up there. I get up and I'm all right. Down the hills, I struggle a bit. Got dropped going down it though. All right. Sydney 10, any hills? I don't think I'm doing Sydney 10. My calendar's looking a bit full. I've got, um... I think Jails Park is like the weekend after. I would love to go and smash Croaks though. Mm, it would be good to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Not, not hard. O'Keefe, O'Keefe Marathon's the same day, actually. And then Jails Park's the week after. Then Great Ocean Road. And then the the 8, O'Keefe Marathon. And then the 8K Cross Country. And this is just stuff I've got in my calendar. Then the 8K Cross Country. You know Bendigo's getting that AV one? Second round? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of complaints about that. <laughs> there is Fucking driving. To, there is so. It's better than going to Lard in the park. Worrying. Oh, nah, not for... Nah. It's yeah. like... It's a long way That's going good. to Bendigo. Hey, you guys know what we have to do every round now. That's what happens. I, I asked the question again. I don't know what you've been doing or saying to Tim Crosby, but now you've got a race out there. You're in Division 1. Something's going on in Bendigo. I'm just hoping my run on Sunday because, um, like, my race at Stall's not going to be any evidence at all to, like, get me a start in our Division 1 team. So I'm just hoping that Andy looks at that result and thinks it's good enough to get a run in our Premier Division team. You have six people. Who is your people? Yeah, well, Andy. Yeah. Nate, who is, who is knocking you out? 
oh uh, yeah there's, there's two kids are running like 820 3ks and it's only a 6k cross country league and you got mm. jamie the beast cook like he's a 14 15 guy as well we've got our second team's a division four team and there's going to be people like there's going to be 14 20 guys in that team yeah, that's it's that's depth. old school Geelong. That that's Geelong <laughs> circuit 2015. Let's talk about some other stuff, eh? Let's thank some Patreon supporters, Bradley. Keep All right, off. I got Jess Noble this week. Uh, Jess lives in Newcastle, and it's um her birthday in the next couple of days. Hopefully, it's her birthday when she actually hears this. So, if that's the case, happy birthday, Jess. Uh, has some pretty impressive PBs: 425 for 1500, 926 for 3K, and on the weekend she ran 60. 1009, which was a PB um, at the National 5K Champs. Also ran 35.09 at Zatapec. Uh, Jess is an upcoming start with some really promising times from 1,500 to 10K. She's an all-around beautiful person and integral part of a wonderful women's running squad with the Newcastle Flyers. And um, yeah, I actually met Jess last year when I went up and did that 5K at, um, at Bankstown. She came up and said hello. So thanks for your support, Jess, and happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday, Jess. That's a good run. Good run on the weekend. Mm, Yeah, she got some quick PBs there. Big run. Did you say Um, how old she was turning? uh, I think she's early early 20s, I think. So got some She's on the the up. She'll be a 15, 30 guy in a couple of years. Or girl in a couple of years. Yeah. People don't care in their early 20s if you'd say how old they are. (laughs) Um, Strangely enough, I'm going to thank... um, Someone who finished higher than Jess at the national championships, which is qu- kind of odd. Dylan Stenson. Dylan has a 100 meter PB of 11.3 seconds, a 200 PB 22.2, and then a 400 meter PB of 47.7, and 800 meters 146. And he was third in the 800 meter champs on the weekend. He's also run 343 for 1500. Now, I have no idea how to work out the fastest or the best PB of this bunch. Is it the 47 or is it the 146? Well, I'm just guessing it'd be the 146 800 yeah. because that's the event he actually does. It looks far. It looks like if I'm thinking, I reckon they won. I reckon the 400 was won on the weekend in like 46 mid. And then the 800 was won in what? One, what did Peter Bowl run in the 800? In? 148. Yeah, right. So, okay. It's probably the 800 PB. But the 400 PB is pretty good. So that's a 222. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> fast. But think about it like this. The women are running 22-2, aren't they? For 200. Yeah. And 11-3. And, and they're not running 47. No, they're not. Yeah. And they're not running 146. Mm. So they're also not running 343. Yeah, no, we'll, but 140, 146 is better than 343. All right. Dylan also has a really well-paying salary by the next bit. So he's an improvement analyst at All Water. He's an athlete for ASICS Australia. What does that mean? That's just what it says on his LinkedIn. I just copy oh. and paste it. <laughs> oh, okay. Like he represents ASICS Australia, not like he's on the Australian team. Um, and he's a team tempo athlete. He is an experienced project engineer with a background working in the defense, shipbuilding, and utilities industry. 
Oh, that's a bit. That's impressive, isn't it? Mm. This bloke, he's, coached, he's coached by Ronaldo, though, isn't he? I think, yeah, yeah. The way that I like, I just explained it actually on the podcast. He really was on well. an episode. They called. He yeah. was, a, yeah. He, he um, they they're kind of like a, a bit of a team. I think. Yeah. Is that he'll run with the he'll run with Team Tempo where he can, um, but he, he he gets coached by by Ronaldo and. Uh, crazily runs the slow, like jogs. I remember him saying he was jogs at like six minute pace. Mm, that, real speed do you remember athlete. that? Yeah. And he runs like 40k a week or something. Yeah. Uh, he's also married to Jess Tringove. So that's why she's called Jess Stenson. And um, he continues the tradition of, of the women in the relationship in South Australia being the power the power member of the couple. So there's a lot of handbag holding going on over there. You've got Jess holding Dylan's handbag this week at the, um, I mean, yeah. let's. No, I actually, think it works for this week because Jess oh, was holding his bag. I fucked it up. Um, anyway. <laughs> Not the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I made this joke the other day. It went down really well. Uh, I made fun of Lachlan Scott because he, uh, he carries Caitlin's handbag while she runs and performs and, and it's the same with with Riley Cox and, and Izzy Bat Doyle and, and Dylan and, and Jess. So, yeah, anyway, thought that was pretty funny. But yeah, just didn't quite pull it off. We'll Dylan, though, dear. raced really well on the weekend, third place. And it was equal third, right? Equal third, yeah. 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 That's oh, they a, went that's to the cool. photo and it was a draw. How do they give that medal out? Well, what, the, the other guy was New Zealander. Oh, that's good. No, yeah. no. So, what did they Jai, both? Yeah, so Jai, him and Jai Parrott tied. Oh. Who's, so Jai's coached by Ben Liddy. Mathis, oh, sorry. Yeah, Mathis, was, Mathis was was um, second. Okay, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's good so to know because I didn't have Jai shared... in that. Oh, no, sorry, Charlie Hunter was second. Mathis was third. And tied with, and Stenson was fourth. That yeah. got the third medal because he was the third Australian. Yeah. Mathis is from New Zealand. But do you think so... that other guy also got a medal? Yeah, he did because, yeah, because um, Dylan tied with Jai, not with Mathis. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Mathis, Mathis got, gets a bronze because he finished third in the race, but then the equal fourth was um, Dylan and Jai. So they get both, both get bronze for being equal third Aussie. Gotcha. Oh. Yeah. Confusing. Geez, some hand out some medals then, weren't they? What do you just What's that five like, medals got handed out? Before we go on, what are your thoughts on international runners competing at, 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 at our national championships? But yeah. we had this conversation before. I don't think we have. But in events like the 800 where you take up a spot, like I think it's no worries in a five or a three or something like that when you can just have, you know, 20 people in the race. But yeah. if it's if you're kicking someone out of the final, an international athlete is for a domestic, domestic athlete. I think, I don't know, like what do you do about it? Like it's good to have international athletes there for, um, you know, to improve the performances and push people and give people races and things like that. But, yeah, so there'd be someone in that 800-metre field, an Australian who didn't get a start because Brad Mathis did from New Zealand. So I think I think for the 800, I think you could still have – because you can double up lanes. So you could you could have 10 people because I think they normally have, what, eight in the final for the um, 800. Did they, though, One, Brad? Do you know? I'll look, uh, up the, I'll look up the full results now. Yeah, yep. and so in that case, they could just – yeah, they had eight in the final. So you could have easily put nine in and had like a double up on a lane. Um, but they didn't know, did they? This they didn't know. Yeah. But you could. But what's the point, though? 
like, why, letting like, them in. Yeah, I mean, it's a national championships. There's all the other classics for the internationals to run in. I don't understand why we need internationals run in a national... Like, you can't go and compete in the US Olympic trials, mm. can you? Or you can't go and compete in the US nationals if you're from Kenya. Like, you don't see Joshua Chepter guy running in the Japanese national championships. So why? what's going on? Why are we doing that? It's and, only benefiting them, isn't it? Like, because they get competition that they might not get at home. Yeah, it's and where's the limit? Like, say you, what about if 10 internationals enter in, in the 800s and the final's full of internationals? Mm. Like, is there a limit to how many internationals can be in a field? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, but that would, be, that would, that would be a problem, silly. couldn't it? Yeah, just say, like, the, the, uh, the Canadian team were on a training camp over here and go, oh, we need a meet. Oh, we can run this. And they fill the field. That would look silly. Yeah, leaving themselves wide open for that. Well, I don't know. There might be a rule to stop that, but that's what you need a technical advisor on here, which we, <laughs> oh, boy, we're not. <laughs> well, on that then, Moose, like pacemakers in uh, pacemakers in national titles yeah well i mean I, i've Thoughts? said that i don't like that Who i said that? i don't oh, like the women's that. 5k yeah the women's 5k was paced but i mean and look what happened they all got qualifiers and there's girls going to the championships because of that so that's the flip side but then but then on the flip side of that is somebody and look it, the result probably would have been the same regardless but somebody who strength is a sit and sit and kick race that's taken it that's taken out of their hands to win a national title because yeah it's 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 run in a completely different way yeah like I, a, a I Jenny a, yeah but I, see the the difference though is Aloise was rightfully there she'd run the time hadn't she she was yeah. qualified she's in the race so yeah yeah I, I don't actually like to me that's fair game it's bringing someone in who's not qualified to do it that's yeah true. that's just training group tactics isn't it yeah, like she's got her spot. She's entered the race. She's in there. Every and as long as I think they tell, we figure it out pretty quick, don't you? But yeah, that's you what she's doing. If you got a race of eight, say the eight hundred, you're probably not getting someone in there to pace because they're gonna like. There's only eight of them. You, you're gonna have to ask someone who's a legitimate threat to to the title to do that. They won't do it. Whereas you've got an open field like twenty five ladies in a five k, then yeah, you can have you, like you can pull someone in for it. But yeah, it's a, it's a good. I mean, we've had this. That is a conversation we've had, and I've always thought championship races no, no pacing. But you can't tell someone how to race if they're legitimately qualified for that event. And it did turn out to be probably the best, uh, best distance event of the meet that women's five k. And it changed people's careers. Mm. Can I just say my Patreon supporter, and then we might get straight to that race. Sure. We're still doing this. Bronte English, I'm going to thank you from Subiaco over in uh, Western Australia there. 23.16 for the park run at Bibra Lake Park Run. Also found a 55-minute 10K at the Twilight Run in Queensland. So not sure if she's uh, lived in Queensland and then moved to Western Australia because potentially a 145 half marathon as well in Queensland. Um, follows Jack Rayner on Strava, but not any of us boys. She only follows a few people. No Brett Robinson, just Jack. Um, she got stuff really locked down, heaps of stuff on private, but in her Instagram bio, she has a couple of, uh, bee emojis. So must be a big fan of the honeybee. So, um, thanks for your support, Bronte, Dylan, Jess of the Inside Run podcast. You boys been thinking about something you can buy for five bucks that, that stacks up in comparison to supporting the Inside Run podcast? Half a gel. I mean, 
two two gels. You can't buy two week. gels for five bucks. Yeah, you can. Coda, Mate, when $2. I bought a couple of you, you would charge me like fifteen bucks a gel, I reckon. Nah, well, got how to much is a Morton? Uh, Morton's four ninety five for a normal. Oh, there you go. One gel to save a price. Oh, one Morton gel. Morton's not the only one out there. I mean, they're good, but you know, like Coda. Coda Australia made two bucks fifty. If you're real tight ass like you, you could just take Coda. Yeah, I might have to. I reckon they sponsored um, Launceston Running Festival last year. Yeah, did you grab a gel? No, I just saw him sitting there at the expo. Don't mm. need a gel for 10k. Croaks, give me something that costs five bucks. Mm. I only get two packs of uh, sit of hot cross buns for six dollars at the moment. Two packs. Yes, yeah, so you get 12 hot cross buns for yeah, six bucks. probably actually pretty good value. Don't give me things that are good value for five bucks. Give me something that's worse than the Inside Running Podcast subscription for the month. Uh, for, I'll come back next Powerade? week. Powerade? Yeah, one Powerade. Yeah, especially, if especially if you're buying from the servo. Oh. Yeah, when the frozen <laughs> Coke machines. Eight yeah. bucks. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say five frozen Cokes, but that actually sounds pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> Think about the monthly content we put out and then see if it stacks up next to uh, one Powerade. And hopefully you can support us at the Inside Run Podcast on Patreon. We'll go to the National Champs, boys. Tell me about this 5K because I was at the um, I was at the MCG, didn't watch it. I was watching Collingwood Geelong, but you guys were watching it, I'm sure. Tell me what happened. Women's 5K first. Well, it went out pretty pretty sharp. So on the front of the group, we saw Eloise again, and she's been in nearly every race we've watched this year, I reckon. She took them through in three minutes and then through... I reckon under six minutes for 200 because they got to two, they got to 2,200 and they were 6.20. So, um, gee, does that mean they picked that second? What am I thinking? Uh, no, 6.40 through 2,000. 6.40, sorry, 6.40, that's right. So they just slowed it slightly. Um, but they were on pace for about 15, would that be about 15.05 there? And um, it got it sort of, there was a group developed, so a strong group with uh, Jess Hull was on the back of that pack, the favourite for the race, I would say. Izzy Bat-Doyle assumed her normal position, right, tucked in behind the pacemaker. Rose, um, I don't think there's been anyone who's looked at the back of someone more than Rose has of Izzy Bat-Doyle this whole summer. (laughs) But she was tucked in just behind um, Izzy. And then Kelly Thackeray was was, um, behind Jess. So she, like... This group went off. Um, Nat Rule was there but dropped back pretty like after maybe that second K and just held off the back probably 30 metres. I think like I, I said to Bree, I'm like, oh, Kelly Thackeray is really putting it out there to be in this group. And like she's run 15.26, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this group's going at 15.10 pace like what's this is not going to end well i think i probably said that because that's what i was thinking at the time um but yeah they they ticked them off like izzy went to the like after eloise dropped out izzy went up to the front and took the laps from then on sort of started to to just tick off consistent laps didn't look like she got much quicker didn't look like she got slower uh and then rose was just tucked in jess looked real comfortable and then with about, I think it was probably about, or maybe five, six hundred to go, you saw Callie Thackeray come around the outside of Jess Hull when they were already starting to kick down a little bit. And I thought, whoa, what's going on here? This is a, 
I don't think this is a brilliant move, um, given that she was passing her on the bend, and it was all, like it was set up for her to run really fast. But she went out there. I think she was just trying to prove a point, like, hey, I'm a player here. I'm not just going to get towed. And and then she tucked in in front of Jess for a bit, actually. Uh, I think from there, Rose went around, and and Jess Jess took off with 500 to go, and we saw we saw. Like a, the, I guess she is the class athlete in the field. Like we, Rose wins a lot of races over here, but Jess is breaking Australian records, and that's what we, that's what we saw happen. Sixty-six second last lap, uh, Rose came home real strong. She ran fifteen oh six. Jess, so got the time, got the win. Um, Rose came home really close behind her. Like she must have run a sixty-seven last lap. Sixty-six, yeah. Rose I've got, ran sixty-six. I've got too. up here. Jess ran seventy-one sixty-six, sixty-six two. And um, Rose, did I say no? Jess ran that, and then Rose ran seventy-two sixty-six eight. Mm, yeah, and then um, Kelly Thackeray has come round for third place, fifteen oh nine. She's run a qualifier for Great Britain or for the World Champs, um, and so very impressive. But like this, like a sad thing to happen. From well, it was sad, but it was also amazing. It's Nat Rule from the back straight with probably 250 to go with 30 metres behind the pack. She's come round past Izzy Bat Doyle on the line to run 15.10.24, only 0.24 seconds away from being an automatic spot at, like, Com Games or World Champs. And then Izzy, 15.10.97, again, li- misses the time by less than a second for the, the second major championships in a row. Nat had the quickest last lap yeah. of, of anyone. I'm just looking 60, at that. 66.17. And um, yeah, to Izzy seventy point six six. So mm. a, yeah, in that last lap, I saw it coming. Yeah, I saw it coming. Yeah. Pulled back. I said to Bree, I'm like, this is me bragging, but I said, I'm like, Nat will get him here, and she wasn't even in the screen at that time. She said, where where is she? I said, she's coming, and then down that back straight because she's done this in a race before. I can't remember which one it was, but she she runs quite smart. Maybe it was at um, run the bridge. She, she ran in a similar fashion. Mm. Anyway, very deep race. Women's 5K, like Lauren Ryan, seventh place, Australian representative at the last indoor, world indoors in the 3K, ran 1536. So that's, um, that's deep. Incredible depth. Yeah. What's it mean? Means Jess can, she'll go to both, Com Games and World Champs yeah. if she wants to. Yep. Yep. Rose has the same, well, no, because you just have to win, don't you? So even though Rose has got that quick time, she needs to still get selected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That no one else has got the time, do they? No. Oh, Linden doesn't have it somewhere? I don't think so this Not season. Not for five, no. no. I think often, though, what they've done in the past, like if you finish first or second at the trial and you get the time at the trial, like you'd be pretty unlucky not to get selected, I think. So for the, I'd say for the world champs. Yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah. I think Rose is pretty much in a box seat now for the five k if she wants it, even though she's not confirmed. Um, unlike Jess, like Jess is confirmed now, but Rose will have to wait. But I reckon that she's pretty safe. I think Rose having the national three k and ten k title next to her name as well, like yeah. has a lot of credibility there. Um, so does this mean potentially Izzy doesn't get a singlet? Well, she she can't. Nat would be the third spot. 
Well, no, there is no third there spot. There is no third spot at the moment. So one of those girls has to break. Oh, they have to redeem the time. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, because I, yep. I don't think the point system yep. will... Yeah, it's not going to matter. Yeah, either. I don't yep. think that'll matter. I reckon you'll have to run the time. Yeah. For, for world champs, we should be clear, because at Com Games, it comes back to your ranking in the um, Commonwealth, like, for that those extra spots on the team. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's complicated, but for instance, like after the autos, there's a certain amount of spots left and those spots are given to the track and field athletes who are the highest ranked in the Commonwealth, basically. So that's that's who will get them. Is there a, a website lot of these... or something you can check that? Uh, I'm pretty sure. I, gee, I'm confident that that's it. But oh, no, I know, sorry, like where it ranks them all. <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know. I think someone was doing it on their own. Okay. Someone had their own like website or, or calculator that was working them out. Because the World you, Champs one's good, like that Road to Oregon website. You just type in what event and then it just gives you everyone in order. Yeah, you just go through and look at the com- the Commonwealth yeah, athletes. Yeah. yeah. A lot of these people, though, that haven't qualified, they'll he- head over to the US soon and, and get into one of those like Jordan Payton meets where everyone tends to run pretty quick. So, <laughs> Isn't that Payton, Payton Jordan? Jordan? <laughs> Payton Jordan, whatever, you know, you know what I meant. Um, yeah, I think Izzy landed in the US today. Yeah, okay. And like, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, Izzy will probably have a crack at the 10, I reckon, as well. Because um, I think for her, like, she's like the mileage that she runs now, like, she's a very strong runner. I, I still think the 10K down the track will sort of be where she's more suited so i think i think she's got yeah i think she's got a fair bit of potential over 10k isn't the 10k yeah. like 31 low though 31 10 31 31 25 oh, I think. okay yeah. yeah um so that's that race the men's 5k was the same night matthew ramson got the win in 340 sam mcinty second 341 13, Jack, 13, sorry what did i say three three yeah that'd be a good run for 5k uh jack bruce 1342 for third Big kick down as well. Sam McEntee tried to peel off the bend to try to pull him in, Ramsden, but couldn't quite get to him. What happened early, though? I only saw the last lap. Uh, so it like got out pretty slow early, and then um, Michael Roger went to the front, and he was on the front for quite a while, sort of just grinding out sort of 68-second laps. Uh, and then it sort of the main pack then got whittled down to like Ramsden, McEntee, Bruce, uh, Isaac Hayne was there. James Hansen and Potter. That was probably like the main Potter was sort of just hanging on the back there. That was sort of the main pack for the majority of it. Um, and then yeah, just came down to really Ramsden and McIntyre in that last lap. And and it played out like like athletics should almost. You're like, oh okay, it's been a slow race. The fifteen hundred guy will win. That, that and, and how many times do you say that when it doesn't happen? It happened in the five k. With Jess Hull winning, the, the ladies, you're like, oh, yeah, well, Jess will win. She's the fastest. And and it happened here as well with Ramston. Um, I mean, just winning. Like, it was a pretty close still last 100. Uh, Sam Sam McIntyre, like, he's shown that he can be quick as well. Yeah. Well, he's run a quick 1,500. I think he's run, like, 337 or something. Obviously yeah. not as quick as Ramston. And, um, but Sam seems to have that ability to really, like, accelerate quite well um she's got that i don't know that style where he sort of cycles through like he's almost just on top of the ground um so but it was uh yeah it was, it was an exciting race but um yeah i guess the top guy got got the job done yeah because they live good company over 15 like isaac Hayne was fourth and jimmy hansen fifth like they're mm-hmm. two fast 1500 meter guys and they put five seconds into them 
What I liked as well, luck. like, so obviously Ramsden was pretty unlucky last year not to make the Olympics. You know, like, there's not many countries where, what, what's he run, like 334 or something and, and didn't make the team. But him now winning the national title, that does sort of save him a spot. So if he can get the 5,000 qualifier um, between now and obviously the qualification period ending, he'll be automatic for that 5K. Mm. Yeah. Which then puts Stewie and who else could potentially run the time for 5K? Well, a lot of them, really. Morgan McDonald, yeah. Brett Robinson, um, Kai Robinson. Dave yeah. McNeil. Dave McNeil, yeah. We could be leaving some good runners at home. Still a lot of, lot of unknowns, really, a lot of variables. Mm-hmm. Uh, men's 800, we've spoken about that, but Peter Bowl did get the win. 148.7. Charlie Hunter, this week's interview, he was second, 149.3. They talk about that early in the conversation. And then Brad Mathers, third, the New Zealander, 149.5. Dylan Stenson, 149.6. And the other guy, Croaks, who drew with him? Jai Parrott. Jai Parrott. I didn't have that in the results because I didn't think they, I didn't even look at the times. So I just copied the first three medalists in there. Also ran 149.6. Anything to say there, boys? Bowl's just just practicing winning races again. Doesn't look like being beaten, does he? It's on no. a streak. It's on a good streak. We won't say much about that because they talk about it in the interview. Uh, women's 800, though. Cat Bissett, gun to tape, 159.8. Uh, Cordia Hollingsworth, 202.9. And Tess Kersop Cole, 203.3. Tell me about so, it, Brad. Uh, they got out quick. So, yeah, um, Cat yeah, got to the front. Went through 457.65, and um, Hollingsworth was, was right with her at that point, and um, Persop Cole was actually only 0.2 behind uh, Hollingsworth. Um, but then I think that that hot first lap really started to take its toll on the second and third place, whereas Cat just sort of, you know, was able to sort of open up a gap on the, on the back straight and um, was just too strong. So I heard the interview afterwards, like, instruction from the coast uh, from the coach was uh to negative split the race um but it was 57.65 and 62.18 but uh impressive running like anytime you're going under two solo so it's a good run mm, yeah sure. pretty good at winning races cat biss at over 800 um and then the 1500 bit of an upset of the meat here boys maybe in the women's 1500 you reckon? I, I reckon it was probably the biggest upset. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, that was Lyndon's race to lose, wasn't it? She's Is she our national record holder again, or is it Jess at the moment? No, it's Jess, yeah. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Um, it's either one of them. Uh, but, yeah, she, I mean, she's the Olympian, Olympic finalist. She comes to this race, and she kind of, you just, everyone just looking at what she was going to do. That's like she's just too she was a class above everyone in the field and she went to the front and tried to control it but um mm. oh, i'm trying to think because some of this stuff nearly happened a week ago it was windy, windy like, it was cold, very windy a bit yeah. wet too wasn't it yeah it was windy and it was um it was a surprise like to see someone go to the front and just start like really pushing that far out and i'm not sure whether it's the right play like Linden was the Linden. It was Linden's race to to lose, and you you kind of she took a real risk by doing that by, by running it that way, and I do, I think that she was a little surprised when she 
she got to sort of a lap to go and she, there was still girls with her, Abby and Georgia. And, yeah, I just think that maybe she just, uh, I don't know, maybe like if she had her time again, she probably wouldn't do it but the she way that she did it. But like they weren't running, like yes, she was leading, but they weren't running that quick. Um, but it was windy, really windy. Yeah, but I guess like going into that race, like, you know, Lyndon's got to have that self-belief that she's the class act and she can win it sort of any way she wants, which didn't happen. But, like, I'm sure that's the way that she goes into it thinking. You know, like she can sit and kick or she could just sort of, you know, run them off their legs. Because she's been, you know, you, you saw how strong she was last season when she broke four on her own at Box Hill. Um, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, But yeah. she didn't run at that pace, though, did she? That's the difference. She, no, it was slow. It was slow. Like they went through, and then the girls behind her are four oh four girls. Yeah, like it was fifty four and a half through three hundred, and then the next lap after that was sixty seven. Like sixty seven is not quick for, you know, someone like Lyndon, even if it is windy. Yeah, so Abby Caldwell got the win. She ran four ten point seven. George Griffiths was second, four eleven point two. Lyndon in third, four twelve point four. Abby Caldwell, I think, unbeatable all summer here in Australia. Melbourne Track Classic, got that win up at Bankstown. I think she won somewhere else as well. A few Vic Mile clubs. You're Memories saying she hasn't been beaten? Hasn't been beaten all summer. Even one of those Vic Mile clubs, she won the 15 and the 3, remember, the same night? Yeah. I think she's gone a whole summer, hasn't lost a race. Wow. And she just missed going to Tokyo. But now she's, as you said before, similar to Ramson Croaks on the women's side. Yes. Yeah, this so is the, the female yep. example. Yep. Just left so off the team. Now she's got the spot, just needs to go hit the time. Mm-hmm. Wonder Watch. Who what is the time? Her? I picked her. Wonder Watch. I think I picked her at the end of the year awards. Actually, for Wonder Watch. <laughs> you had Sinead. Actually, I was talking to Sinead on the start line of running for the kids. She said, "How's Croker going? Hasn't changed his mind against those awards yet." She's like, "Yeah, she wasn't happy, Brad. I wasn't happy. Uh, she wants to know how many run for the kids. Jai Edwards has won. <laughs> I, said, I don't know how many Sinead, but not as many as you. But anyway." Yeah. Oh, this is bullshit, by the way. Please well, should, we talk, Please. should we talk about the men's 1500 then? Yeah, men's 1500. Well, this was a similar thing, wasn't it? Class went to the front, and who we expected to go to the front? Ollie Hoare, but he mm. did turn it up. Mm. Turned he it pulled it off, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. Pulled it off. Yeah. And, yeah, he. I mean, you've got a bloke like Matt Ramson behind you. You There's got to be a certain amount of, like, oh, it, should I wait or should I go? And But, yeah, I mean, Ollie Hoare, again, we, we know he's an Olympic finalist. Um is similar boat to Lyndon without the national records, really, isn't it? Uh, probably younger. Um, maybe doesn't have quite the international experience Lyndon does, but still has some confidence and showed that by going to the front with war two laps to go, three yeah. laps to go. He maybe. ran the last 800 in 148, didn't he? 148, 148 high. Yeah. Two and a half laps then, yeah. So he ran the 800 in the same time that... Pete Bowl won the 800 in. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? Point two of a second behind. I mean, he gets a running start, but gee, that's he, pretty he good. He would have beaten Charlie Hunter. Different races, like it's a different. Yeah. That, theirs was tactical, maybe, but yeah, that's what it looks like, though. Yeah, that's impressive. But I mean, he only ran three forty. So that first, um, that first six hundred or whatever must have been very slow. Yeah, so they went like forty six eight through the first three hundred, and then the next lap was sixty five. Yeah. Which, you know, for these for these guys, they're normally you know rolling around fifty sevens, fifty you know fifty sevens like for every lap when they're really going for it. Cal yeah. Davies in third, three forty two. Good to see him get a medal. 
Mm. Been knocking on the door for a while. And then the steeples, the last thing at the Australian Champs. Uh, Matthew Clark got the win in the men's, 832.6. Looks super strong, out hard. Max Stevens led a bit in the middle, and then um, Clarkie come home, you know, put seven seconds into the field, into the last uh, two laps there, and he looked good. Plenty of emotion, seeing him cross the line, punch the chest kind of thing. Max Stevens, his training partner, was second in 839. And Liam Cashin, big PB from him, the boy from Western Athletics, he ran 843. So uh, some good results mm. there. Good to see Cashin. Didn't even know he ran the steeple. Uh, well, I think he did his first one at Vic Countries in Bendigo in January. And he got yeah. smoked up by um, that Archie Noakes kid. Oh, yeah. I think he ran like 9.10 or something. So he's come out and, yeah, he destroyed this. Practiced um, it. Yeah. And then his sister, Amy Cashin, came out and won the uh, the 3K, the women's race, the steeple. Olympian Amy Cashin from Tokyo. She ran 9.37. This was a great race. Brielle Erbacher was second in eight, in nine thirty eight, and then Cara Fee and Ryan was nine forty. But they all came across the water jump, the last one together. Then was a big sprint finish. Um, yeah, great to watch it, watch this one. And Amy, first time I've kind of heard her interviewed post race, and she was yeah really well spoken. I'm not sure if you guys heard that. Just really down to earth and had some good answers. Mm-hmm. Bit different to Liam then. So higher IQ. I think she's staying over in the states at college doing her. Um, Masters or doctorate or something. Oh wow! Yeah, that's smart, this has been an event all year though. That's been um, pretty good races out of it. The women's steeple, like pretty close ones towards mm. the end. So that's um, yeah, that's a big win there. Like we've seen Urbacher close that last off the water jump really well the last couple of races. Um, yeah, that was that. That's Australian champs. Did I hear um? Because I haven't, I missed the Saturday night. But did Jeff Risley retire during one of the races in his interview? Uh, yeah. So they interviewed uh, Peter Bowl after he won the eight, and he sort of dropped that Jeff was retiring. Okay. And then they went and tracked down Jeff while the um while 5K the men's five k was on, was on okay. and then they interviewed him. Yeah. And he's hung up the spike. That's it. Sounds like it, yeah. Four-time Olympic Games representative. Good career from Jeff. Wait mm, and see, see, see his social media. Hopefully something more efficient. I would love, I'd love to move like he does. How smooth is he? Four That's times cool. Olympic. Four times that... over a tough event. Yeah, yeah. Like hard to qualify in those 8.15s too, I reckon. There's always some young kid coming through. Yeah. That's amazing. We'll um, yeah. see if we can get him on for a bit of a chat. Newcastle Marathon happened, fellas. This was a bit of a rumour floating around last week, and it kind of come true. Sarah Klein went out there, and she ran 2.30.49, so a big PB from her. She won the race overall. Her training partner, Ben Kelly, was um, one second behind, who I assume paced her the whole way, and then he um, stayed out there and, and won the men's race. Um, so not quick enough to get that time, but she could be looking at a roll-down spot for world champs if it happens, if their spot's available. Oh, I don't think roll down spots. Roll down. Nah. We've, got so many, we've got so many girls that already got the time. Not if three of them go to Com Games. Roll down is a, that's the world. Yeah, no, there's not going to be roll so? down. Points no. aren't going to matter in the world champs. Oh. Not in the marathon. They 77. To... I'm on it now. Remember, 77. Remember... Oh, no, 100 spots. Yeah, 20, 20 spots per roll down. Making it a hundred is helpful, but this won't be helpful. Like that won't be roll down material there. Let me check at the moment what if it's happening. Oh, you Ali's can... here, Moose. What do you mean? Ali's in this in this roll down. 
Her, t- her time won't have counted from... She's, oh. she's 97th. She hasn't got time. She's in on points. Oh, yeah. Well, the Olympic Games, she'll have... You have to run a... You have yeah, to run the Olympics. distance at some point. Her Olympics, you don't get... she's on for points. Yeah, And yeah. Hobart half marathon. That's her second score in race. Oh, God. She scored oh. more points, actually, at Hobart than she did at the Olympics. How fucked is that? Yeah. And, and Hobart wasn't even fast. She scored four more points by running 71. How good is the point system? That is, yeah, a good example. <laughs> um, Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. no, nah, at the moment they're taking points on this website. The person who, yeah, there's 80, 80 people who have the time. Yeah, what no, do you mean? Not. Like, there's 77 people who have run two two twenty nine thirty with the three per country rule, yeah, and then okay. it goes to points. The 78th person at the moment qualified but that is off inclu- points. That hasn't included. That isn't updated with Manchester and Newcastle and. Um, yeah, well, Sarah Klein's not on here at the moment with our Newcastle result. And Rotterdam yeah. and Paris. And Hamburg's there was another one. There was another one yesterday, like in Lisbon. Dayton. And then there was a huge one actually yesterday. Barcelona, uh, wasn't it? No, it was it was like northern Germany. Okay. Anyway. There's a few races anyway. still to come. Yeah. You reckon yeah, I, I, it up I, I reckon it will be. Uh, also Millie Clark, she ran a marathon in Paris. She ran two forty one thirty five. So what does that mean, boys? And Ed Goddard ran 2.13.45 at Manchester. Mm. Well, good by Ed. He just ran a PB, so kudos to him. He was in a pack with some guys. One of them ended up running 2.10, so uh, he, Johnny Mallow, he, he kicked away. Cramps and the then, last 5K, I think, on Strava, Ed Goddard. Yeah, it's a marathon. <laughs> He'll, he, he looks good, though. He, he, he's going to be a good runner. He'll run 2.10 one day, I reckon. Mm-hmm. 2.10, 2.11. He's he's still so young, and he's still so crazy. Puts in Once, the training, puts in the miles. Yeah, he's going to nail it. He's going to he's going to get to that one where he just he, he he ticks it off. But yeah, so for 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 Ed, I mean, he'll put his hand up for Com Games, won't he? Yep. Discretion and so, spot. Yeah. So when you start talking discretion, you got to look at the. We no one looked at the criteria, did they? Mate, I've been busy. Since last week, no, we didn't look. Um, but for Millie, yeah, I mean that's not. I mean that that's everything but helpful f- for her, because if they start looking at um, they start looking at like form, even though it's not close to the race, they go off her last marathon. Not a great result there. If she was looking to get a com game spot, you mean she still yeah. got to qualify for world champs? Well, from Melbourne in December. But it's interesting, though, isn't it? That her... No, no, yeah. So, I, like, if they all nominate, which I think they have, so Eloise, Millie, Jess. Sinead's already locked for one, though. Yeah, yeah. So, Sinead's locked. I think the others, I think Eloise and Jess both nominated for Com Games as well. Um, then there's, yeah, then, like, Millie will go to the world champs, won't she? She will. She's but... got an automatic spot. But then you've got someone like Sarah Klein who's just run 11 minutes quicker than her. Not going. Nah, that won't matter. Because she didn't hit the time in the period. Doesn't matter. Yeah, I know. It's just an interesting one though, isn't it? Millie's going. Um, 
Ed Goddard got out for an hour, 65 minutes this morning at 4.28 post-race. Says on his Strava here, three weeks to recover. Oh, What's in three weeks' time? You scare me, Ed. Uh, like a hamburg or something? Oh, he's going again, you uh, reckon? Uh, maybe. Fucking <laughs> hell. Watch this space. Yeah. Watch that space there. Wait, he ran an hour at 4.28 today. Yep. Gee, the cramps couldn't have been that bad. He said pulled up DC, which I guess means decent, three weeks to recover. <laughs> That's an inner, herb, inner Sydney urban slang for you. Yeah. Over my head in a Chukamoa. <laughs> and then, yeah, yesterday, those last 5K cramps. That was his comments about um, Manchester. All right. So, yeah, that's that. Uh, Kai Robinson, he also ran 13.23 over in the States. He'll make the, he'll make the team, boys. Yep. He's, he's the best 5K runner in Australia, potentially, coming up soon. Well, Stewie McSwain. We'll make the... Um, from Stewie, though. Not sure we'll what's going the, on He'll make the steeple if he doesn't make the five. Oh, yeah. Has he ran that he in was, this period? No, but he'll run... I'm sure he'll run one if he doesn't get the 5K. And he was... Because uh, I think he's already uh, has he got the standard? He's run he's run pretty quick over the steeple, and this and he's obviously I reckon he's improved as a runner since then. Mm. There's not that many opportunities though. He's run fifteen twenty three here, Stanford invite. That's a good opportunity. So you you say oh he'll make the team, he'll make the team, but you you got to do it, and he's getting the chances here. So I'm not like why do you think he'll do it, Brady? Hasn't he already? Um... Oh yeah, he ran thirteen twenty one earlier the year. So yeah, yeah right. so I don't know. What's what the is time? the time? Thirteen fifteen? No, it's like thirteen thirteen thirteen, I think. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's a big chunk, isn't it, Moose? Ten seconds. Like you said, Peyton Jordan, maybe like a fast um Mount Sack or something. But yeah, it's gotta like you can't keep going and going and going. So you push this out for another three, four weeks, like at some point, your, your long ass season's going to catch up with you. Yeah, and he's been up for a while. 13, 13.5, got a hit. Uh, that's it for running news. Quite a lot there because we've been going for a long time, boys. What about we um, wrap things up? Yeah, yeah, happy with yeah, that. Yeah, happy with that. You want to just tell me, uh, we know what's coming up for you, Croaks. You're going to Canberra. Boston's coming up in two weeks' time. Michael Roger in action there. So that's going to be something good to watch. Anything else happening in your life, Moose? Yeah, I got the um, Run Strong training camp down the surf coast. Is that this weekend? Yep. So we are, we're planning that right now. Looks like good weather, actually. Still a couple of spots. It's going to be late call, though, but they're going to be, it's going to be good weather. We've got the trails marked out. Poor oh, boy. Take, take people out on the paddleboard? Yeah, I was going to say, it's Saturday Arvo, easy 35 minutes. It's been replaced by a paddle. <laughs> I might take, <laughs> take a couple out, a couple of people who want to learn what it's like to be alive. <laughs> couple listeners like <laughs> listener names down there yeah a few listeners there a few listeners I'll, how many um, you got attending moose got about 20 at the moment 20 20, yeah. 20 well like covid's covid's knocked yeah. a few around what did you think you were going to get when you first how many spots two, two, you have <laughs> <spots>. <laughs> but look feeling quick so <laughs> <laughs> no, no, 20 is great. 20 is like pretty much what we wanted. Yeah, um, real intimate. You don't want to, yeah, you don't want to be big and big and yeah. gross. You want to be nice and like personal. Everyone can get a drink on the run. I'll spend a bit of time riding with people. Take Ellie, the e-bike out. Yeah, take the e-bike. i got Jeff Rothwell coming to talk about nutrition. Um, so it'll be good. Very good. 
All right, fellas, we'll wrap up the interview coming up. Charlie Hunter, uh, three-time Olympian, uh, three-third fastest all-time over 800 meter, one-time Olympian from Tokyo, coached by Pete Julian in that group. Interesting. I've only heard like first 30, 40 minutes, but uh, interesting hearing about how he got to Oregon because he was there with Cole Hocker and uh, Cooper Tier. So a pretty decent uh, collegiate group there. Another one from Luke Matthews. So a massive thanks to Luke for putting this one together. And um, it's a long one as, t- as well. So we might break it into two, depending on where you're listening to this show. Patreon, you'll have it all. But it uh, might be half now for the iTunes Spotify crowd and half next week. We're done, boys. See us later. Have a good week. See ya. See ya. New Balance's Fresh Foam X range represents a revolutionary advancement in the material that cushions the high-impact foot strikes that occur on roads, tracks, courts and fields everywhere. Informed by 3D motion captured pressure mapping and force application data gathered from real athletes, Fresh Foam is softness quantified. Convex and concave geometric structures are utilised within the midsole and sidewall to optimise the balance between cushioning and stability, offering a pinnacle experience across the widest population of users. And New Balance is excited to introduce the version 12. As the heel counter has been updated and rebuilt with memory foam, while the four-foot mesh has improved elastic action. The geometrics of the midsole cushioning in the lateral forefoot have been improved to be more structured, overall resulting in a longer lasting and more supportive everyday running shoe. Today's guest is Charlie Hunter. Charlie is a professional middle distance athlete based out of Oregon in the United States. He was an incredibly talented junior runner winning multiple national medals and representing Australia at the World Cross Country Championships in 2015. In 2018, Charlie decided to join the famous distance team at the University of Oregon. Throughout his time at college, Charlie won two NCAA championships and was fortunate enough to break the NCAA DMR record. His successful junior college career finished by qualifying for the 2021 Olympics, representing Australia in the 800 metres. He holds an impressive PB of 144.35, which ranks him third on the all-time Australian list. Post-college, Charlie signed a contract with Nike and joined the Union Track Club under Pete Julian, training alongside Donovan Brazier, Craig Engels, and Jessica Hull. Charlie, thanks for coming on, mate. How's it going? Thanks for having me, Luke. Um, hey, where are you based at the moment? Uh, on the Central Coast, back home with uh, mum and dad. Yeah, nice, nice. So uh, at the time of recording, it's currently Monday, April the 4th, which is the Monday following the Australian National Championships, which, uh, which you flew back for. Um, before we get into that, just want to ask, um, a lot of the time when you see these Americans based, Australians based in America, um, they often don't come back for the National Championships. So what was the main motivation for you actually coming back to begin with? Uh, it was kind of a there were two reasonings one primarily was to compete and race and i just don't think you can undervalue the importance of um championship racing it's a certain thing that you just really can't replicate and every opportunity you get i think you need to take it um so i i definitely wanted to come back to compete with bowl because i don't think i've actually ever raced him um so it was to do that be competitive kind of the, the idea was to secure uh you know put in some good some good yards uh, 
with regards to Athletics Australia so that um, they could potentially pick me for world, world champs and comm games. But it's also just great to get home. Um, I spent a lot of time abroad, so it's great to be back home with uh, the family. And there's been um, some additions to the family, so it's great to like finally meet my 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 brother's first child, which is awesome. And um, and then additionally, I, I kind of had to get my visa sorted, so I'm I'm back here trying to get a, a new visa. Yeah, uh, it's actually funny because um, <clears throat> you and I both show that share the same um, sh- same agent, which is uh, Stephen Hass, and. He actually called me about half an hour ago and he said that you're running into a bit of visa issues, but I forgot to ask you beforehand. But, um, but yeah, you're saying that maybe you need to stay here or maybe go back to America and you got to work it all out. So um, with that, obviously, that's to get a visa to potentially stay in America long term to then um, so you can pretty much, you know, almost work, which is being a professional athlete. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was I'm currently on a student visa, but that's since expired. So, yeah, I just got to get this new visa yeah which allows me to work and stay in the states yeah cool and yeah just touching on when you went before it's like it's pretty interesting to note it's like i feel like maybe when i started making teams if you ran a time that was pretty much good to get good enough to get you selected whereas now if you look at the depth of the the men's 800 1500 and 5k um and even the marathon uh it's one of those th- uh, maybe marathons a bit different because they don't have a championship but um it's one of those things now where nationals is going to have a lot more weight and a lot more priority because, um, you know, if you win that, you pretty much secure your ticket to the national championship. So um, it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's, it's, it's average that you have to fly back and compete. Uh, but at the same time, it just shows that depth of Australian running is, is getting better and better um, specifically in the, in the two events that you and I like the most, which is, uh, which makes it tougher. Um, so yeah, as I said before, um, the Monday following the national championships, you were second uh, behind Peter Bowl in 149.31. Um, so, yeah, just give me pretty much because I actually spoke to you just beforehand and I said, what are the tactics? And you said, I've actually got no idea. So now, you know, speaking, uh, going into the final, what actually were the tactics and uh, what was the way that you were going to take down Pete? Uh, because as it is at the moment, Pete is um, he's in some form and he looks pretty hard to beat. I'm actually pretty happy. I'm well, not happy, but I'm I'm glad I'm injured because he's he'd be scary to race right now. <laughs> yeah, Pete's Pete's actually a great bloke and yeah. he's a fantastic racer. And as you said, he's just on this little hot streak at the moment, so he's got some good momentum going. And he's just a class act at the moment. Uh, yeah, I think he came fourth at Tokyo. So yeah. you know he's a he's a high end athlete and he's going to be hard to beat no matter who you are at the moment. Yep. Um, but the plan going in was to do exactly what I did. Actually, I ran the pretty well, the perfect race or what, what was asked of me. And that was to sit in, stay relaxed, um, make sure you're there with 200 to go, but don't make a move until the home straight. And I did exactly that. I think I ran a really smart race. Uh, I moved to the front with relative ease and I held my nerve um, to not go early. I bit my time, bit my time. And um, Pete just kind of has that little bit of an extra gear over me. And um, yeah, that, that's, that's all she wrote. Unfortunately, I couldn't get him. But uh, in hindsight, you know, plan A, which is what I did, was the best plan because there was a bit of weight involved with the race. And it's, you just never know. Everyone was really there. So it was very important for me to come top two. And I did that job done, but it would have been great to get the win. And knowing how plan A worked out, I think I might have maybe gone to the front a little earlier and just 
got to the front, so I wasn't reacting off of Pete. Pete may have been reacting off of me, but that's all hindsight, and that's that's just racing. Um, but uh, yeah, championship racing and time trial racing are two different things, and I think uh, I'm heading up to Brisbane next week to to have a crack at a quicker time, and I'll probably be a bit more aggressive with my racing come there. Yeah, absolutely, and I think as well, it's like obviously with with championships, like. It's a, it is a different dynamic because you've got heats and finals. But I think another thing as well is that I feel like a lot of the time when you would have raced uh, championships, you've probably raced in 25-degree weather. This is probably the first time you've probably had a major cha- on a, a championship where it's been raining and wind and, and all these other factors. Was there anything, you know, with the weather that kind of changed your mindset going into it? Or did you have the same mindset, whether it was 10 degrees or whether it was 30 degrees? Uh, I... I've adapted this mindset over this past kind of two years of no matter what the conditions, no matter who I'm racing against, you go out there and just give it a red hot crack. You just, I've put in all this bloody work. I just want to have no doubts with how I race. So if it's blowing a gale or pissing down rain, I just want to run really hard. And um, that, that, that was the case in the heat and final Um, the heat. I was, as you said, the, the weather is a bit different to what I'm kind of used to. And, um, so the heat, I was in the, the preliminary round, I was absolutely rooted come the race. I, I think I messed up my warm-up and my like my warm-up clothing because I, I typically wear layers and there was no need for that on the day. And I was <laughs> I was so rooted come the heat, but I, I actually changed that for the final and I felt a lot better. But yeah, generally it's just, you know, show up, have the confidence that you've done the work and just prove it do the work don't leave any doubts and and that that typically works pretty well yeah and um and yeah like I I think just looking at the race I mean did seem like Pete had a a pretty good run at it and um I feel like you threw everything you could at him um but at the same time I feel like the one of one of Pete's flaws or his weaknesses um was really that last 200 or that last 300 and um seems like now it's become one of his strongest parts of the race so um, to be that close, um, you know, in what, you know, April, um, I think that you and Pete are both looking like you're going to have a pretty big season. So it's going to be pretty exciting to see you both. Um, but the other race which happened recently, which was the weekend before national championships, maybe the one before that, was the World Indoor Championships. And you were fortunate enough to qualify and then be selected. Um, I'll be, I, I'd, I'd say it probably wasn't the result that you were after, uh, but that was, yeah, your second uh, major Australian senior team. Uh, run me through. So yeah, run me through um, one the the selection for for the team, and then also at the same time how you can compare. You know, a world major championships, which is the, which is the indoors, and compare to how that indoor championships is different to say the NCAA championships or even just some of the American track league races that you've done leading up to the world championships. <laughs> Yeah, so the qualification process was like most championships. You got to get a standard, and then I guess the unique thing for Australia is we don't have indoor, so people that are based in the US uh, have a big advantage. So I had known from the start of the year that I wanted I want to make every team that I possibly can. I don't think you can undervalue wearing the green and gold and putting 100%. yourself in those championships, those championship settings. It's just, it's invaluable. You know, when I end my career, I just want to have as many uniforms as I can and, and build up as much experience as I can, because, you know, 
it's just something you can't replicate. And it is a unique situation that not everyone thrives off of. And unfortunately, I, I think I'm just someone that'll get better and better with experience. So thankfully, um, the 2021 indoor season, uh, I was able to rack up some pretty good times and that's pretty much what enabled me to qualify. I, this indoor season, uh, you know, it's a, it's been a big change for me. And unfortunately the races didn't go quite as planned. So I didn't quite have the lead up I'd like, but um, just gave it my best crack and I was able to qualify and that was the main thing. Um, so I showed a bit of form and was able to compete. The difference between an indoor, uh, like an international indoor race and I guess the collegiate system, I don't think there's much at all, honestly. It's the collegiate system so well built up that, especially at Oregon too, it's so professional and it really bridges that gap. Like there's, there's really no difference. Um, it's just uh, show up and expect to race hard. The only thing I'd say is different maybe is the competition. The thing I've noticed is, especially in the 800, um, it's very physical. Like you've just got to, you got to be really decisive with your moves. You've really got to kind of have your wits about you and, just got to, I don't know, you just got to be, I, I'm not going to pretend like I figured it out because I haven't, but it's, it's a kind of a, a next cut above. Like everyone is very, very competitive. Everyone, it's a bit more physical and you just got to be, uh, I don't know. I, I think you just got to be really in it, you know? Mm, yeah. I mean, I can't really speak for, I can't really speak for indoors because I've never actually been on an indoor track and, um, and yeah, I'd say, I'd say, yeah, with the 800, even outdoors, it is, it is pretty physical, but I think the biggest thing that you realize once you get to a major championship is everyone is so fucking good and everyone, a lot of, you know, if there's 45 people on the, on the um, start list of a, of an 800, you know, 40 of them are in their, are peaking. So it's like, it's, yeah, it's tough. So I, I get what you mean by that. And it's, it's a next level. Um, and also at the same time as well, I think, I think you kind of said something good there as well is that um, Oregon you know, does tend to um, get athletes, you know, like um, train them in a way where they're kind of ready for that next step. But I'd almost say that, you know, the top, the top handful of collegiate athletes, when they do make a major championship, you know, like a USA's or, or, or even an Australian team, or whatever it might be, they do tend to go really well. And I just think that comes on the back of the collegiate system, just being a, a great factory for athletes, but then at the same time, it just teaches people how to race. Um, and if you look at Matt Central, it's in, you know, 2011 or 2012 or 2011, and you look at him competing now, he's got the exact same tactics and he's a beast. So um, it's good to know. Uh, but yeah, look, the reason why I think like I'm interested to have you on and also at the same time with inside running is that, you know, you're our third best 800 meter runner ever based on time. You've won two NCAA championships, one of them in a relay, one of them in indoor. You came third at the most recent outdoor NCAA championships. But, you know, I feel like you and I have a pretty good relationship. We probably speak a couple of times a week, um, albeit over text message and, and Facebook and what have you. Um, but even at the same time, like I'm still, there's still this curiosity and this like this unknown factor about Charlie Hunter for me. And at the same time, I feel like, if you started to see Charlie Hunter's name through 2017, 2018, 2019, I feel like a lot of people would have been like, who is this guy? Um, and I feel like a lot of people, you know, don't really know your story. Um, so I'm, um, 
you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting for people listening, but it's also going to be interesting to myself because um, I've been fortunate enough to spend some time around you. Um, but yeah, there's still a lot of, still a lot of stuff that I don't know about you as well. So this is why I'm, I, I thought you were a, a perfect um, guest to come on. So yeah, I just want to, yeah, pretty much let's just go right back to the start. So um, based out of the central coast, as you said, um, I think you're based out of a place or you ran for Gosford. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Just run me through, you know, what it was like as a junior, who was your first coach how did you get into athletics and um, also at the same time, what, what other sports were you balancing or doing at the same time? Yeah, so I grew up on the Central Coast in Gosford. Um, I've always been very athletic. Um, came from a very sporting background family and was kind of pushed into everything. Uh, it's kind of a coastal community, so the ocean kind of surrounds your life. So I grew up on the beach doing nippers and things like that. So bit of everything there was no specificity there was no rhyme or reason with what I did but I guess school sport typically started around um, soccer and rugby they were the the main team sports that I did uh, in in school Uh, but I was always kind of known as the runner I had always had a bit of a predisposition to running but there was no specificity towards it so up until probably about middle school um yeah about about middle school um my grandfather was uh you know he he acted as my coach at the time and and we just go for like a a couple training runs two or three times a week just to I don't know it was a great I think it really developed our relationship and uh those were very fond memories to me but that training just kind of helped me towards a bit of running and soccer and rugby there was no specificity I wasn't like Morgan McDonald where I was winning juniors from the very first age group um I think I was coming I think I was I still remember I was third reserve for state cross country that was my first kind of memories of of running I was third reserve for state cross country and instead of being held at Eastern Creek Raceway it was actually at Gosford Racecourse down the road from me and I got the call up the day before the race and I think it came dead last so I don't come from a very good running pedigree. It's something I've definitely kind of worked at, but it was early. It was established from an early age that I just loved running. I, I was pretty decent at it. And it's just what I chose to do. Come fast forward now to like junior school. And it's become clear that I'm feeling like I'm, I'm growing a bit. I'm obviously not built like a linebacker. So rugby's not really the sport for me anymore. Soccer didn't really take and running was my sport. So um, I started to get a, bit more specific with it and I picked up a local coach and uh, at the time it was a really really good squad um, you might remember Cam Page yeah like a fantastic yep. junior David Mainwaring Kevin Batt um, there was there was a good stable of runners Australian was, junior runners at the time what was his name or the, the coach's name uh, Kevin Wills a pretty alternative kind of guy um, yeah. I, yeah, uh, grassroots <laughs> yeah I remember um yeah because I went to world juniors in 2014 and he used to coach Georgia Wassell and Georgia Wassell came third at that world juniors and man I remember seeing some of her training and what she used to do and uh the the biggest one for me was uh she every single race she did and mind you this was a girl that ran 201 when she was 17 like a fucking beast her warm-up for the world junior championships was on a bike on a stationary bike. So everywhere we went, she had to bring the, um, bring the, the anchor thing and she'd bring like a trainer. 
yeah, and yeah. A, and a two thousand dollar bike everywhere we'd go. And I remember I got stuck fucking carrying it a few times. But but yeah, I'm just but yeah, just to add a, another little bit of uniqueness to it as well. But yeah, sorry, yeah, keep going just with the with the group you had because yeah, Cam Page, uh, I think it was what twenty thirteen national 5k champion 337 354 mile maybe like a 1333 5k i think um yeah yeah, yeah. like a really really good squad yeah and at the time i'm i'm really fresh to the group i'm i'm very shy but i i saw these guys as maybe five years older than me and they were they were superstars at the time like they were winning national and state cross like to me that was fucking that was top tier um so that that was what i strove for and um like those guys were winning state cross country and I think meddling regularly at national cross and track. And I thought, geez, like that's, that's as good as it gets. So that was what I was striving for. Um, the training itself was very, it was tailored towards running, but I was being trained as a triathlete. I was in the pool at 5am doing ridiculous pool sessions. And I was probably only doing close to 20 K of running a week, but that running was like speed drills and I'd be on the bike for two, two and a half hours. Like it was very alternative training, but it was extremely, extremely demanding. And I'm the type of guy that if you, if you tell me to do something as a coach, I'm going to do it. You, if you say jump, I'll say how high. Like yep. I, I'm just the type of guy that'll really dive into it, uh, probably to a detriment. And so I really immersed myself in that training. And that carried through to my, my senior year of high school. And I was totally committed to my training. And this type of training was just so out there and extreme that it, it was very, very demanding. And I had a lot of success with it. Um, you know, as I said, I started where I was barely making state cross country to, I think my senior year, I won every state cross country. I think there was three at the time, state short course, whatever. Um, I think I came third at the national cross country in Albany. Um, I was the Australian under 20, 1500 meter champion, which was a huge breakthrough for me. I'd never won a national title. Um, and I, I, I was in fantastic shape. I probably wouldn't have won the 5k tour if I'd ran it. So I was actually kind of hit my straps at that point. Um, and at the time, my, my ambitions were to, to run professionally, but I really wasn't on that next level you were at the age group above me and you guys were a bit of cut above me. You were running a bit quicker. I just kind of had this mentality of sit and kick and I wasn't going to get too far with that. And I was, I was, I, I, I strove to be professional, but I definitely wasn't on that level to become professional. Um, and yeah, so I was kind of, I was kind of left finishing high school being, all right, I'm, I'm a really good runner, but I'm not quite good enough to go to that next level. And I was kind of in limbo from there. But, yeah. But, yeah um yeah and i uh, i mean yeah it's it's kind of like a, it's one of those things like it was almost like a a pretty linear trajectory though like you kind of you, you hear those stories a lot like the kids where it's like oh they're there thereabouts but then you know by the tail end of their juniors they're they're doing some good things and then and then they kind of as they get into their seniors they come into their straps um and yeah just another thing as well it's like i mean you look at that group that you're a part of um and the you know, a lot of success, a lot of national medals, like a lot of, a lot of good things came from that group. And um, I just remember, man, it's, it's, it's so funny. Like I, I'd honestly forgotten about that coach until I started interviewing. And I remember 
I remember watching a session one day. It was of Georgia Wassell and Cam Page, and they did like they did like a one k hard time trial on a velodrome on the bike. Like yeah, like literally like what you see on the like in the Olympic cycling. They went straight onto the inside, which had a grass track, and then they did like a three hundred meters flat out in bare, in bare, like no shoes. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, and I remember seeing some stuff of you like back in the day, and a lot of your stuff was bare run, bare feet running. Um, yeah, just interesting and a different way to train. But I mean, there's there's more than one way to skin a cat. Um, yeah. So yeah, you kind of as you touched on, like your 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 national your junior career kind of finished with a with a national championships. Um, but you also in 2015, which was your final year as a junior, you were fortunate enough to qualify for the world cross country championships in the junior race. Um, and I think this was a bit of an infamous team because I think everyone bar Morgan McDonald on that junior team finished in the hundreds. And I think you were 106th. <laughs> sorry to talk, <laughs> sorry to talk about the bad times, but I think the bad times <laughs> make the good times even better. Um, yeah. So what, what did you make of the world, world cross? Cause I'm, man, I just remember watching that back at home. It was at like, I think it was at like 1300 meters altitude. Um, nobody like literally nobody went on an altitude training camp to get ready. And, um, the junior race, man, like, I feel like that's tough because the people that win that end up winning like Olympic gold medals, like the following year. So, um, so yeah, run me through that, that trip in uh, China and, uh, and run me through the 106th place. <laughs> Yeah, that was brutal. Like, I know what to tell you. Like, I think, uh, I think actually at the time I had been uh, distancing distancing myself from my coach. I think, I think I may have been self coached there for a little bit. So, <laughs> I don't know. Like, it, it was a bit of a blur. But you know, I was so stoked to make a team. Um, I was actually I was running really good, but just a bit lost at that time. Like, I think some people do get. You know, you finish high school you're kind of in limbo. You don't really know what you're doing. And unfortunately I didn't have, I didn't come from a team background. Like you guys in Melbourne, you you always had a squad. You had good infrastructure around you. I was very alone. I didn't really have the best um, kind of preparation for a national team kind of. So it was cool. Great to, great to be a part of like an Australian team for sure. And, um, but yeah, as you said, I didn't even know it was altitude. <laughs> I don't think anyone told us that it was altitude. But geez, I would, I would, I would categorize the World Junior Cross as one of the hardest and most competitive races in the world. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. ridiculous. Um, um, yeah, yeah. I, I'd say that as well. Like, uh, it, it is tough because, like, I remember in 2013, uh, the year that um, I just missed out on making that team, but um, Gebra Hewat uh, won. Um, he won the he won the junior race in 2013. I think the year before he'd ran 12:50 for a 5k, and later on that year, I think he came second or third to Mo Farah in the world 5ks in Moscow. So like, you get you get these young Kenyans and Ethiopians who are pretty much ready to go, and there's there's six in each team. So yeah, I yeah, I think it's a tough team. Even even world juniors on the track is is tough as well. Um, and it can be pretty disheartening as well. So it's tough. It's tough. They, yeah. I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, I think as well, like it probably, it probably shows as well. You do have that real disheartening factor. It probably, I like the way the Europeans have it where they have that under 23 age and they have those under 23 championships. I think that'd be a great thing to have because if you weren't motivated, like the way you are and you had that 106 place, you might've left the sport because you thought maybe I'm 
maybe I'm not good enough. Um, so yeah. Um, all right. So yeah, you finished off the finish, even though, you know, you finished off juniors in, in a good spot, you'd made a national team, national championship. I feel like, um, the rest of 2015 and 2016, um, you're just kind of finding your feet, but I think probably the big thing and probably the one, one moment where you probably started to get a little bit more on the radar was, well, definitely on my radar, I suppose, was, um, the tail end of 2016. And, um, I, I'm actually, I'm really glad that you did this because I feel like this was the the basis of our relationship and friendship, um, which I, which I really value. Um, you joined, you joined Melbourne track club and you joined the technically were coached by, by Nick Badeau. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, th- I yeah, just a little, like how, how did you go about joining the Melbourne track club? How did you go about contacting Nick and um, what was the process from changing from your current system to joining somewhat a professional group in Australia? Hmm. Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's something else I should add on before that happened, because yeah. I think that was important. Um, as I said, my trajectory as a junior was going fantastic on paper, but I think I was very lost because at the time I transitioned from my coach and I'm based on the central coast. I, I hadn't grown up on traditional running values. So I don't even, I, I don't even start my running clock um, until my first year with Melbourne track club, because yeah. I wasn't training as a runner. Yeah. So my running knowledge was incredibly low. I was very, very insulated. I hadn't established good running connections and relationships and I was, I was really broken. I was really run down mentally. I just wasn't in a good spot to keep running and my heart wasn't in it. And uh, like you said, most people, they're just trying to find their feet at that time. So I went through probably an 18 month period where I wasn't even running. I was just kind of just, just trying to stay afloat. And um, I think my first step in the right direction, I reached out to Jeff Risley. Oh, that's right. I, you went to Falls Creek yeah. with him. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Jeff was the only real connection I knew. And Jeff was a fantastic mentor to me. He really, I I would say he was the first person to show me the ropes and just introduced me to what real running was. And as you said, I went up to Falls Creek. I just got exposed to what what running was about, the the running community, how to train properly, how to eat, sleep, train, repeat. And um, that was a great introduction. And I think that rekindled that that love for running and just gave me that spark of like, all right, this is, this is what I need to be doing. So Jeff was a fantastic mentor to me and, and a good friend to this day. Um, who's actually just retired, which, uh, yeah, should, um, pay mention to a fantastic career. Uh, but yeah, from there, um, uh, I think at that point, that's when I said, all right, I need to get a group. I need to be surrounded by like-minded individuals who have the same goal and to be coached, uh, not to cast shade on Kevin, but like, coach to to be able to run yep. so for me that was really on the in the, on the australian circuit nick but kind of got it wide so for me at the time i thought all right uh, i just need to be around those guys so for me that was nick's sydney base which was the sydney track club uh, coached by nick bromley and at the time we had stapo and I think Josh Phillips was there and Ed Goddard. So it was a, it was a good group of guys. It was a good little, uh, yeah, it was actually a good, it was actually a great little setup. And so I remember Gregson would base there like tail end of the year. Um, and I remember seeing him knock out like eight by a K at Rotary. And it seemed like there was like 10 blokes there. So it actually looked like a, a great setup. Yeah. We had, like we were just trying to replicate what you had. Like you yeah. guys had a really good setup. 
Yeah. Um, but I was, I was still based on the coast. So I just go down two or three times a week to do a session. And yep. I just, I was just trying to figure it out. I was really thrown to the wolves with how to run and just, and Nick's approach is pretty standoffish. I guess you could describe it. Like he's not a lovey dovey. He's not going to walk, hold your hand through it all. So you really. That's, that's weird. I had, a, I had a completely different experience. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was a tough learning, learning curve. But in that first year, when I joined uh, the Sydney track club, I had pretty drastic results. I, uh, I had gone from my, my times hadn't changed in three years. So I, I went from running 350 for the 1500 to running 342 at the end of the year. Yeah. And I had made the Australian open 1500 final, had a red hot crack, sat at the front, just <laughs> my yeah. experience showed up. Actually uh, just, on, just on that one. Yeah. I remember uh, actually it's, it's all coming back to me now. Um, cause I felt like I was just kind of going to gloss over 2017, but I remember that national championships. Um, I felt like that was a real, like Gregson V Ramsden V, um, Guzman, like clash of the Titans. And I remember at the bell, you fucking went for it. Like you, you tried to yeah. make that race your own. Um, and yeah, like I remember you had Gregson, like, you know, I mean, Gregson was, you know, it was, he'd just come off an Olympic final. So he's in red hot form, but yeah, you, you made everyone work for it. That was, um. Yeah, that was actually a great yeah. race. And you actually were pretty much the main um, the main guy putting the moves in. But yeah, sorry. Yeah, I led that because uh, it was it was terrible conditions. And I think I found myself at the front. Yeah. I ended up leading it probably from the first 200. And yeah. Uh, yeah, rang the bell and I absolutely went like the clappers. Yeah. <laughs> I just went full pelt and come the home straight. I was absolutely rooted. But yeah, it was a good race. Like, um good mentality to have that's that's a mentality i'm trying to keep to this day just race hard no matter who's there but yeah that was a, a big turning point for me i was primarily focused on the 1500 that season and i i took uh eight seconds off in one season um and i really extended my season i i did uh, australian champs and then i went with you guys to mount laguna yep extended the season i just wanted to learn i just wanted to be around you guys and i just wanted to learn i was a bit of a yeah a bit of a running nerd just i i just i kind of idolized you guys at the time and i just wanted to soak it up as best i could Uh, i think did that camp at mount laguna went horrendously trained (laughs) terribly i was absolutely put in the hole um i think i ran 352 at that um oxy meet yeah <laughs> yeah that's right Jess. That, was hor- that was horrible um and uh i think i was told to go home i was like nah i don't think so uh that's when this oregon journey started to, to creep yeah. up i mean at, at the time i'd been working studying and training just to keep it all afloat but i realized that wasn't sustainable that's when i started to look into the collegiate system and at the time i was in mount laguna i was communicating with andy powell yeah. Yeah. So just, just, yeah, sorry. So just quickly before we get onto the Oregon stuff. So yeah, that, that, that um, let's say tail end of 2016 to say April or April, May, 2017, you did two Falls Creek training camps with us. I think, yeah, it would have been about a month in November and a month in January. Uh, and then you came to Mount Laguna with us and probably did, oh, I'm going to say like four weeks um, raced at Oxy, um, and you're around a professional training environment for say for three month long training camps. What were the you know 
that was your first, well, that was the first time that you felt that you were around really runners and, uh, you know, a really, let's say a traditional coach, um, but you're also around a professional group. What were the main lessons that you well, learned about the sport and also learned what it took to, to make it to the next level? Because at the time, like we had Gregson who'd just come ninth in the Olympic final. We'd had Jen Lacars. We had Brett Robinson. Um, you know, we had the start of Matt Ramsden coming through. Um, it, was a, it was just a really good group to be a part of. So, what, yeah, what were those main things that you'd learned? And mind you, for those that, that don't know, Mount Laguna um, is about is about an hour out of San Diego in the mountains of California. And um, it is literally, imagine if you plonked 20 cabins in the middle of a fucking forest. Like it is, the only thing you can do there is train, recover, eat, and watch a lot of Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) I I learned a lot from Nick's system, but I also learned that that wasn't best for me. Yep. Um, I think key t- takeaways I got from Nick's system that he built was you guys trained bloody hard. Like <laughs> you guys had a real blue collar mentality of like, we're just going to kind of outwork each other. And yeah. that that's great. You know, I think that there's a time and a place for it. Um, and I, I really, I think that fed into my work, my, my work ethic. So I just realized, okay, if you want to, if you want to compete with these guys, you, you've got to be working this hard some way or shape or form it might not be the way they do it but you got to be putting in the time and effort like you guys do and that can be um just how you live your life because it is a certain lifestyle you have to live and the recovery is almost as important as the workouts you do so just living in that environment seeing what you guys ate seeing how you guys approached the warm-up seeing what you guys did in the workouts itself just how you went about life and the uh, the energy you brought to these workouts. I think you were a fantastic person that always making each workout bubbly, happy. You had a very unique approach that I love to be around. Um, So just how you approach the day-to-day running. um, Those were the basic key takeaways I got from like that training experience, I would say. Yeah. And, and like, look, I'll, I'll say like my, obviously I didn't leave Nick slash MTC with the best term, like the best on the best terms, but at the same time, like, yeah, I, I think it. you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like it, it really did teach me the ways to train, the ways to approach training, the ways to approach rehab. Um, and then at the same time, like realistically, you've got, let's say there was 15 blokes, you know, all at an Olympic standard um, that had, you know, ultimately the same session, but there's 15 different ways to approach it. You know, you have someone like a Brett who's, uh, I'm actually Brett was injured that year, but maybe someone like a, a Dave McNeil, who's a little bit quieter, a bit more reserved. You have me, who's center of attention, trying to fight for try for the spotlight. Um, but at the same time, you have 15 blokes that have the end goal, and that is to finish 10K worth of reps, train hard, and get ready for the next session. So it's, it's, it's a great place to learn. Um, so, yeah, obviously, I think, yeah, that, 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 that camp, um, that was kind of for you, uh, you know, if I, if I can remember correctly, you were, you were kind of using that as a way to yeah be around professional athletes on a, on an, on an altitude training camp, but you were also using it to potentially use it as an avenue to get to um, the university of Oregon. So you started off speaking to Andy Powell. Um, you went over to America and you did a few races and that kind of started the process. So what was the process like, say from let's say May, 2017 to eventually starting it at, at, at Oregon in 
I think you started in April the following year. Oh, dates kind of get lost to me, but it was a process. Yeah, it was about I, a 12-month process, going. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as you said, that, that that's exactly right. I used that training experience as a way to get me in the door to Oregon because I, I established that that's where I wanted to be. Yeah, um, and, so I started... Was it, I mean, sorry, as well, and just as well, like, I mean, Oregon, you look at Oregon, that's the, the hub of running. Was there any specific reason, like, exactly Oregon or was this just kind of going to be like a, a dream come true for you type thing? Uh, it was, I think everyone grows up knowing about Oregon and, and inadvertently knowing about Oregon. Oregon is synonymous with Nike. Oregon is synonymous with Matthew Centrowitz and Andrew Weeding and all these top, top tier runners. So even if you don't really know Oregon, you know about Oregon. So it actually I knew I was interested in college, but I wasn't hell bent on that's where I needed to be. But it's funny the, that our camp ended and I was at a point where I kind of wanted to just do a bit of exploring. And I reached out to the pals and said, Hey, I'm actually in the neighborhood and I would love to come see the campus. Do you mind showing me around town? And he said, yep, sure. If you can get your way here, sure. Come take a look. So I funded myself to go check out Oregon I actually had a cousin that lived in Portland so I had some of a a bit of a connection there um, and I went to the university and absolutely fell in love with it they rolled out the red carpet for me they showed me the facilities the the team atmosphere the access to facilities and gear like it was just something that I was so deprived of like I couldn't get get a pair of shoes when I was at home and I was running it on a grass track that would probably be bogged out or I would get kicked off of it was just it was a home base that I had never experienced and it was pretty much the best possible setup for me it was I was able to continue my studies I was able to establish friendships it was able to give me a a a bubble that would allow me to improve academically athletically and also as a man like yeah, it's it's an opportunity to live in in a different country, and I think that's a great experience. So uh, after that meeting, I was like, yeah, this is where I want to be. So I, everything was hell bent on that. It was clear that with my season, I was able to join the team. Just athletically, I'd run three forty two, and they were happy to have me. And it seemed as though I meshed well with the team. So they said, yeah, get yourself here. Um, it did take a little bit of time um, to get myself eligible because. At the time, you know, I didn't take any subjects in high school that would allow me to, like my transcript, for some reason, they just didn't understand it. Like my, our grading system, they, did, they just didn't understand if I'd graduated high school. So I had to go to uni and take a few extra courses just to make myself eligible. So it ended up taking about, oh yeah, 12, 18 months to get over there. But yeah, got there eventually. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it seems like it's bloody hard for Australians to get over there because like it's, 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 it's hard to begin with when you're doing the SATs and then trying to like, you know, show what subjects you did in high school. But then as well, there's also this the situation where you can transfer from like an Australian uni to an American uni. And that was the process I went down and that was going to be fucking complicated. I never I obviously yeah. didn't go that way, but yeah, it's, it's bloody tough. Um, but yeah, you um obviously so yeah, let's say you fast forward that you fast forward that um 12, 18 months, whatever it is, and 
your day one of um, Oregon University and you're at probably one of the most famous distance teams almost in the world or definitely the most recognised. Um, and, yeah, you're under the guidance of Andy and Marissa Powell. And I think that Andy Powell is probably one of the reasons why people go to that college. He's one of the people that made that school so successful. And, um, yeah, and he, he coached Centrowitz to um, an NCAA championships, third at world champs, and he actually coached Matt in his first year as a professional athlete before he went to the Oregon Project. Unfortunately for you, you start there and three months later, Andy Powell says, hey, guys, I'm, um, I'm going to take up a, uh, a position at the University of Washington, which is why now I think University of Washington is such a destination school. Um, and you go under the guidance of Ben Thomas, who had just transferred over from Virginia Tech. So, yeah, what, what were the emotions like around that going from Andy Powell, this you know, successful, successful coach, to then going to Ben Thomas, who at the time was a little unknown, um and yeah because I, I even remember speaking to you like hey like you're all right man like what's up and you were just like i just just never would have expected this like if we go all the way back in our facebook chat um so yeah just run me through that emotion and that that kind of you know that that reality that you get two or three months into your in, into your college career mm. yeah no exactly like i think at the time i thought to myself like shit, I've just had the worst luck with my progression. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a professional runner, but like my first coach really didn't prepare me for that. I then had to go through Nick Badeau, which wasn't the best setup for me. And I thought, fuck, I finally made it. I finally at Oregon. It's just where I need to be. And Andy Powell was part of that puzzle. He was, he was just the coach for me. He was, he's a fantastic recruiter. And yeah, and then, you know, what, three months later, he says, I'm, um, I'm picking up stumps and, going somewhere else and, I, and at the time they also knocked down Haywood Field so oh, yeah. it was just it was just like like just what are the dreams are literally you know, ripped away <laughs> seriously like I didn't come here for Ben Thomas like I don't know who he is I came here for Andy Powell I came here for Haywood Field and I lost both of them so yeah it was just like god like what a, what are, what's the odds what's the luck and um there was conversations with Andy of me tra- uh, transferring over but to be honest I I just loved Oregon too much. I I loved the colors. I loved the what Oregon stood for. I don't I don't know the University of Washington. I don't, I don't know it from the bar so open. Although I really like Andy, I think the program Oregon has uh, is world class, and I just believed in it totally. So I stayed I stayed the course. Um, I'll admit Ben wasn't my first pick. I think I even said it from day dot. I would never be coached by Ben Thomas. I wouldn't choose Ben Thomas as a coach, but uh, God, was I wrong? Like <laughs> Ben's a fantastic coach. Um, we, we now have a fantastic relationship and he's a really good friend of mine. And just what he was able to, the relationship we were able to build is, is why I'm here today is why I'm now a professional runner and why I'm an Olympian, but it did take time. Ben had a very unique, again, Ben had a very unique approach to training. And it was totally different to what I was kind of used to. And, and I'd still say my, my running IQ is very low. I was still trying to figure out running. I didn't, I was only a 342 guy. Like I, I'm not by any means on the radar. I'd say I'm still trying to figure it out. So on top of that, I'm, I'm getting trained by a new coach. Yeah. So it took a, uh, it took some time to get used to, 
but as I'm getting used to Ben, I'm also learning more about myself and, and how to train what, what's best for me. And I don't think I had much success that first year. I think I ran 357. So that was a big breakthrough again. Um, qualified for world uh, NCAA mile final indoor. Um, That's the one that the Beamish one? Well. Is that the one that Geordie Beamish, Beamish won? Yeah. And Ollie, Ollie was pretty hot shit at the time, but he came second, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it was, it's funny, just, just going back, I remember, I remember I, I, I wasn't sold on Ben Thomas as well, obviously like completely wrong. But one thing that made, that really stood out that year was um, Neil Gurley. He signed with the Oregon track club who had Mark Rowland, who's Mark Rowland's one of the most famous coaches in the world. And I remember Neil Gurley was part of the Oregon track club, but decided to keep Ben Thomas on as his coach. So he, Neil Gurley had graduated from the Virginia tech where Ben Thomas coached and decided, and instead of going to Mark Rowland, who's coached Nick Simmons, um, who's coached Hassan Mead, all these, you know, big dog, Pat Tiernan until recently, <clears throat> um, he decided to keep stay with his coach. And I remember thinking that is a fucking interesting call. Anyway, that year he ended up winning the British Championships, making the World Champs final and running like 334, I think. So, I mean, if you look at that, just that to begin with, I mean, it's it, it just showed that he was on his way. Um, but you also, I, I feel like 2019 and, and even 2018, I feel like you you kind of were brought into like a really golden, well, what ended up being a really golden era of Oregon. Um so when you joined, there was there was athletes like Cole Hocker, Coubertier, James West. Um, you know, I don't need, really need to speak about the first two, but James West as well. He's a three three thirty four runner. I think he's around like a seven forty three k. So when you look at that from eight hundred to 800 to three k, or now five k, you guys were beasts. Like you you had an awesome team. Like probably better than some professional groups. So yeah, just just before we kind of go on to the rest of your college career, one. Can you just run me through what a normal week like was with, with Ben Thomas? Because you're only with Andy for a few months. But, yeah, what was a normal training week like and and how that changed to kind of by the tail end of 2021? Um, and also what, what, the, what the training dynamic was like with, with now, um, you know, they were, they were obviously juniors at the time, but now two world beaters. I think, what, Cole was sixth in the Olympic final and, you know, He's fucking good enough to win a medal. So yeah, what what was the d- dynamic and, and training week like? Yeah, um, a typical week would have been. Ben is incredibly specific, and I, I hate kind of going into because there's no easy way and there's no generic week. Ben was incredibly specific, um, almost down to the hundred meters. <laughs> it was it was a very military approach um you were we met up every day at a certain time twice a day um ben would give us documents on the the appropriate diet the appropriate recovery techniques and it was it was a very hands-on approach which i i've since found out i really really like um but ben was ben's not initially ben wasn't your friend he was clearly a coach um He's just like, he's there as your coach. There wasn't much of a banter or anything going on. It was just like, here's, here's the program, do it and you'll be good. And uh, I think at the time, yeah, Cooper Cole, myself, Reed Brown, James West, we were all kind of 
guys that really, I think there was a lot of talent there, but also like-minded and very driven and competitive. So a typical, I don't even really want to go into a typical week because I'd, it'd, it'd bore you, but a lot of cross training, a lot of specificity, pretty low mileage, very intense. Uh, what was your play. what was your weekly? Let's say like, um, what would be roughly in a in a good training block? What would be like average mileage, and then how many sessions would it be? As in like hard workouts would it be? Mm. Uh, mileage. Everyone did the same mileage. Uh-huh. Um, I think it was about uh, maybe one hundred and twenty, maybe k or mile. Might have been a bit. Okay. 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 So that's uh, that's for someone yeah. like yourself, one forty four, and also Coupertier, who's now ran thirteen oh eight. Yeah, we'd all be the same mileage. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So low mileage, but the the workout. I think Ben is one of the best guys in the world with regards to workouts. They're incredibly specific, and we touch on a lot of different things. And he's it's it's really good. I really like Ben's training. Um, but some, I would say, we do yeah three tough workouts three specific tough workouts maybe even four yeah and those workouts uh those workouts are pretty like you're doing sorry when you said everyone's doing the same mileage is everyone doing the same sessions as well uh there'd be two groups distance middle distance so Cooper and Kyle would be the distance group and they would yeah typically have a slightly longer workout in the track season but in the base phase we'd all do the same Okay. But really, we're all doing the exact same mileage. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Pretty incredible. Like, it's just it's just amazing to think that you can have, you know, two guys doing the same workouts, and one's running one forty four, another one's running three thirty one, and coming six at the Olympics, and then you have Cooper, who's I think it was thirteen twelve last year, and just missed out on the USA's. Um, yeah. Interesting training dynamic. Um, yeah, yeah, because yeah. like most groups, are, there's a lot of specificity. I'd say, like, even with uh, the new group I'm in, there's a there's far more specificity. But in college, I guess it's best to have just a generic blueprint. And yeah, we would all do the exact same mileage, pretty much, and pretty well the exact same training. Yeah, so, yeah, pretty cool. And then with uh, with Cooper, with Cooper and Cole. Uh, you were, I mean, I feel like every time I'd, I'd, you know, open up Instagram, I felt like it was you three and, and, and James West and, um, Reed and, you know, the rest of the Oregon guys, I felt like a lot of the time it was just you guys all in the same race together. Was there much competition or rivalry or like tensity or just like, just anything like that in training or were you guys able to work together and, and train in harmony? Yeah. Great, great bunch of guys. There was no... There was no drama queens on that team. Um, specifically, Cooper and Cole. They're, that's, I think, one reason why we had so much success was we're all good friends. Um, we didn't take, especially Cooper and Cole, they don't take it too serious. Fiercely competitive, but it's lighthearted and it's just there's good respect there. Um, there was never any drama at all. So we all, I think, at the start of that 2021 season, we'd all realized like, you know, we're not here to muck around. Like we, we all really, I think made a conscious effort to do something special that year and it just kept on upping itself. But we were all, we all brought it every single workout, incredibly 
good energy and high intensity. We were all fiercely competitive, but it never crossed the line of drama or anything like that. It was it was a really good purple patch. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. And it's funny, like you look at. I feel like if you look at the the the, the top distance groups, like yeah, your your Bowman, your Oregon Project, uh, the former Oregon Project, um, Union now, and even the top sprint sprint groups, um, the best guys train together. Um, and it just seems to be a way where it just, it, it, it brings success. Um, so yeah, kind of, yeah, obviously the 2019 season, um, kind of your first real stint and yeah, you made the NCAA final in the mile. I think you got run out of the heats in the, in the, in the 15 at outdoors. Um, so, you know, without glossing over too quickly, but it seems like 2020, um, you know, in, in like January, February for the outdoor season of that year, it seems like you'd kind of made a big move in your training. So you'd opened up with a, a 355 and then you, you broke the Australian indoor record of 354. Um, was there anything major, was there anything major that, you know, was different? And then also at the same time, that kind of coincided with the lockdowns and COVID. What did you do? You know, what did you do differently or what did you do throughout that time Say, because I'm pretty sure that year, NCAA, like everyone was at NCAA indoors, the pandemic hit, and they cancelled it like an hour before it was meant to start or something like that. So, what did you kind of do in 2020? Like, what was what was the the reaction to to, to all of that after such a big start to the year? Yeah, um, I think I think I've always had the same mentality. I've I've been someone that really wants it from from day dot to when I started running with you guys. I really, really wanted it. I, I've always wanted to be the best or be competitive and, and make these teams and run these really quick times. But I, what I put it down to is I just, I just needed more time. I needed to understand the training. I think my body needed to adapt to the training. And unfortunately, I just had some hiccups along the way. I had changes of coaches, I had changes of programs. Just joining college itself is a big adjustment. You need to get used to all these things and uh, it's kind of rare to join a group and just it clicks straight away. So I just needed time. My mind was there. My intensity was there. I just needed a bit of time to adapt to the training and kind of, yeah, absorb it and, and really learn how to run properly. So the more said, a natural progression indoor- type thing than, than, than differences in training type thing. Yeah. Yeah. So come that indoor season, um, it had a slow start, but I, yeah, as you said, I, I ended up running 355, which was a big breakthrough. I, I beat Centrowitz, I beat Cole, uh, yeah, Cole and Cooper to win a Boston Indoor Mile. And that was a big breakthrough because at the time that was in preparation for the Tokyo Olympics, wasn't it? Aussie yep. Champs? Yeah, that was so Centro's that, like first race since, um, yeah, I think that was Centro's first race since like Doha. So I remember that race, mm. yeah. Yeah, he wasn't in, in peak form, that's for sure. But I'll claim the scalp. Um, but yeah, that, that's where my mindset was at. I, I, I had ambitions of going back home for Aussie champs and qualifying for Tokyo. Yep. Um, I don't think that would happen. I, ne- I needed more time. But it was off to a great start. Um, that, that Specifically, that race was a big breakthrough. Ran 355, beat some big dogs, and I was on my way. And as you said, we went to Albuquerque, New Mexico for the Indoor National Championships. And uh, day before the race, um, they pulled the plug. COVID had 
COVID was officially here and that, that's all she wrote. So I went home probably two days later, still with the ambition of running Aussie champs that got canceled. I think I also had plans to run in Brisbane because I was in fantastic shape that got pulled and uh, yeah, uh, you know, that that's COVID, you know, that, that's, that's that chapter, everything. I was on great trajectory. I think I'd really, really reached that, that next level that you kind of now know me as, but COVID hit. So yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, with that, with that lockdown, um, I felt like a lot of people took it in a few ways. Like, you know, a lot of people did nothing like for my sake, I just used it as a time to get my body right. Um, so I, I literally did nothing. Um, and then other people used it as a way to kind of get ahead for the year after. So, so anything specifically you did that year? I remember, I remember for a brief moment, you'd went to Flagstaff and trained with, um, with like Stephen Hass's group and a, and a few other pro runners that were up there. Was that, was there anything else that you really did to try get ahead for the year after? Um, it was, it was still full steam ahead. In my mind, this was just a setback and when the time came, I'd be ready. So yeah. I just, I had, I had supreme confidence that I was doing the right thing and if I kept doing it, it was going to pay off. So yeah, I ended up probably spending close to a year here um, just working on my craft, just, just keeping, just training hard, trying to get fit. Um, by the time I was able to go back to the States, I had found myself in pretty good shape. I was able to string together a really good consistent block of just base work. And I think I got really fit. Uh, so by the time I was back with the squad, it was a breath, breath of fresh air. I was really happy to be back in, in, in Oregon. At that time, Hayward Field had finished. I had had more time to train with Ben Thomas to understand the training. And physically, I think I was in a really good spot. And uh, as you said, um COVID was still around so I couldn't go back home so I used that opportunity to do some altitude so yeah I reached out to Haas and went up there and uh that was also a very very key turning point for me because that was my first real in real altitude stint and uh I think it went really really well I had fantastic training I had also worked out with the coaches back at Oregon that my my ambitions were Tokyo, not NCAA's. Yeah, because unfortunately they're being paid to promote the collegiate system, not really not what's after college. So it was important to me that I was being trained for Tokyo, and that's what my my goal was. So we had actually established that I was going to redshirt outdoors and do Aussie champs. Oh wow! Um, it didn't end up happening like that way, but I had a conversation with the coaches and said, "Hey." are you on board with this? Can I, can I be trained for Tokyo? And they said, yes. Um, so that, that was a big turning point because for me, it was like, it was like, this is the path, like do this camp, run the time, qualify for Tokyo. There was no questions about, was I being trained for this event or this event? It was just so clear in my mind that if I stayed the course, it was going to work out. And it was just the stars aligned, you know, Coop uh, and Cole had fantastic seasons. The, the right races happened. It was just it was just a perfect storm of things, and and good momentum happened, and it ended up, you know, coming to fruition that I ran some great times and qualified for Tokyo. Yeah, um, it was just it was so 
now that I look back on it, it was just such an unreal year. There's just a perfect storm of events that happened and I was just ready for it. You know, I seized it. Yeah. And just, yeah. And I mean, so yeah, obviously that's, that kind of like talks about 2020. You just had that mindset that it's, it's, you know, screw the COVID. It's just like Olympics is 12 months later. Let's do everything we can to get there. Another thing as well is, so like 2021 was obviously a breakout and we'll get into that in just a second, but um, it seemed like, like, cause when I've, you know, been around you, when I've trained with you, when I've watched you, you know, it feel, it seemed like you're a miler, you're a 1500 meter runner, but then um, it seemed like pretty much in 2021, your focus became the 800. Was the, was there a discussion you had, you know, maybe it was when you, when you were saying, Hey, let's go for Tokyo. Was there a discussion you had with anyone or how was it that you kind of got thrust into the 800 as opposed to doing the 1500? Um, like, yeah, if, if I look at it now, like you won the NCAA championships in the indoor 800, you ran 145, um, which is the Australian indoor record, maybe the Oceania record too. Um, so yeah, what, what, what was that movement moving from the, from the, I suppose, like from, even though you'd done both, what was it that you were going to focus on the eight as opposed to the 15 or the mile? Mm. oh yeah all year it was the 15 it was still the 15 come kind of mid-year but yeah as you said I train as a 15 runner I kind of consider myself as a 15 runner and all my coaches do too it's just the the eights just really clicking I don't know I can't can't describe it but there was actually one race that 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 was the turning point and why we established the eight being the main event for me was um it was the Arkansas. It was like the second meet of the indoor season in 2021. And the goal was when Coop and Cole ran 350 for the mile, we actually had a 1500 meter clock and I was going to run 1500. So yeah. I was running a 1500 that day with the ambitions of getting the Olympic standard. It just didn't go my way. I just, I got after it, but it didn't go my way. And I was so pissed after that race that I went in the next day with just this total hatred for this 800 that I was just going to kill it. <laughs> I was going to murder it. I was so pissed that I didn't get, that I got beat and that I didn't win, uh, that I didn't get the time that I was just furious. So like I, I was furious, but I was also like, I just don't give a, give a rat's ass about this eight, but I spoke to my dad and he's like, just, just do it. Just run hard. And I was like, all right, cool. I, I don't care. Like I'm just going to run hard. And I don't know. I just, I ran incredibly quick. I think I negative split it. I think I went 53-51. Looking back, it was a really, really good race. Yeah. And it was just kind of a shock to me. People, when I finished, people were like, do you know what you just ran? I was like, not really. Like, I had no frame of reference to what a good 800 was. It turns out it's pretty good. Uh, It was just after that race, it was like clear, like, look, the 800 is pretty open. You should probably, that's your best bet to make in Tokyo. And that's what it was for me. I just wanted to be an Olympian. I still consider myself a 15 guy, but the current climate of Australian 1500 is very top tier and I'd be up against it. And the goal for me is to become an Olympian and be competitive in the best event for me. And right now that's the eight. Um, I, I, I think it's the 15 down the future, but right now it's the eight. So I'm going to stay with it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's awesome, and yeah, one forty-five indoors is is pretty impressive. Like, I feel like the fifteen, like you can run obviously pretty similar times, but um, 
but yeah, I don't know. It seems like the eight, there seems to be a decent differential in outdoor to indoors. Um, so yeah, maybe the 15 up is that like, is that real time where you can have a similar, but yeah, the eight's tough. And um, so, yeah, so just, just on that day, you, you ran the, you pretty much ran the 800 out of spite. So you'd ran 353 the day before Australian indoor record, Oceana indoor record. And then you ran, or maybe it was just the Australian record, but then you no, ran. No, it's both. It's both. I was both, yeah. And then you'd also ran the next day. So you broke two Australian indoor records in 24 hours. Yeah, no, I was a beast. It was, in, <laughs> looking <laughs> back, it was phenomenal. Like, yeah, I ran a 353 mile. Uh, the hard, like, for me, the hard way, I did it kind of up front and I blew up. And then within 24 hours, I ran the 800 negative split at closing at a 51 and broke both the Australian and Oceania record. So pretty, it's a pretty good day for me, yeah. Yeah, that's fucking awesome. Um, okay, so yeah, that you use that momentum going forward. Um, you go to the NCAA Championships. Um, I'm not sure if it was at the NCAA, well, um, you, sorry, so you won the Indoor 800 by 0.01. Um, and if you, if for the listeners, if you get a chance to have a look at that race, watch it because I'm still not convinced that Charlie won, but uh, <laughs> he, he got the win on the, um, on the photo finish, uh, won the 800. Uh, but another thing that happened massively that year was um, you guys, that, that, yeah, that, that, like I said before, that kind of golden era, you all got to race in the DMR. Uh, you, won the, you won the DMR um, NCAA championships, but you also broke the indoor NCAA record that might also be the, in, the indoor world record for the DMR. Is that right? Yeah, so we we actually broke it three times. Um, oh. So we di- we didn't we won the national title, but we were like 0.01 from our record. But um, it gets a little confusing. But yeah, Cooper, Colin, myself, and another guy on the team, we broke the collegiate record, smashed it actually, and it's technically the world. It's called a world best yeah, indoors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, we're moving pretty quick. Yeah. 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 So world best, I think, is used for like. Um, so like Mo Farah, Mo Farah has the world best for the indoor two mile, but it's not a world record because I don't know. It's got a, yeah, it's, it's for like odd distances or something like that. So maybe Donovan Brazier, I think he has the world best for 600. So it's like, yeah, out of reg. Yeah. Okay. So you, you're, you're, you're a world record holder. So maybe you're the, maybe you're, um, maybe you're inside running's first ever world record holder. I might be wrong there, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So yeah. Um, yeah. Just kind of emphasizes that point. Like you, you, you really are in one of the best eras of Oregon track and field. Um, uh, and that, that championship as well, you won the 800 Cole won the mile in the three K and Cooper was second in the three K and won the five. No, but he anchored our DMR. Okay. In 352. Right. Oh, fuck. So right. Okay. Um, and did you guys, you guys went pretty – did you win the championship that year, the, the whole thing? Yeah. God, yeah. that was a special day. And yeah. it was just – it was you pretty much all scored from just distance, hey? We, we won – no, we won a couple other ones. It was yeah. it was a very good team. We won the 60 and the triple jump. Oh, shit. Okay. Probably got some other – we got some other points there as well. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll forget about those. We'll just say it was all in distance. <laughs> um, all right. So, yeah. I, and you kind of, like, just kept that momentum going. So, you – that year, um, you, I, I'm not quite sure about exactly what you did between um, indoors and outdoors, um, but you ended up going to the NCAA championships 
which was at the brand new Haywood Field, and you finished third in a pretty stacked race with um with was it Isaac Jewett Jewett the one who ended up coming second to Clayton Murphy um in the outdoors that year. Uh, but you finished third uh, in one forty five. What was it like running a you know, running a champ, running a major championship or running an NCAA championships in front of a home crowd in Oregon competing for Oregon. Yeah. Like that's about as close as an Olympic final as you'll get like that. It really, the NCAA system, as we touched on before, the reason why it prepares you so well for these major championships, is because it is, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're Not staying sure. in a hotel, you're staying in a hotel, you're in this little bubble. You've got, pretty decent crowds there it's hyped up so much so it there's really no jump to a major championship because you are competing in a championship and especially as a duck at a home national champs it's pretty special um that that's that's a championship that i wish i uh maybe prepared myself a bit more for um i don't know i, I have a tendency to put a bit too much pressure on myself when it really counts and at a home national champs i definitely i think so came to the pressure a little bit um which i'm i'm always trying to work on but that was that was something that i think i could have done better at because it was like that the buzz around a home national champs you've been to a pre-classic you like you know kind of how good the crowd can be and it's it's this really high energy environment so that was really cool to be a part of but i wish i had performed a little bit better but um, no, like, I don't know, like how to explain it. Like the heats went fantastic. I, I was really, really confident and I won my heat in like 148 comfortably. And I actually, Isaiah Jewett and Brandon Miller, who went on to go one, two, barely made the final and was like, all right, these guys aren't in the shape that I think they're in. And so we were really blindsided with that race because we thought it's going to be fairly slow and it won't, it won't be quick. That's what I thought. They ended up going through in 50 point and I just wasn't ready for that. Um, I should have been, but I can't, they got the jump on me and yeah, like I, I, I still did a seasonal best running 145, but that, yeah, they just got the jump on me. I just didn't, we weren't ready for that at all. We, we just didn't think they were going to run that quick. So yeah, pretty yeah. disappointing, but um Look, it's pretty pretty good run still, I guess. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, yeah, like I remember when you'd finished and, um, yeah, I was like, oh, I was thinking, oh, it would have been awesome for Charlie to win. But then you look at what Jewett did like a few weeks later in the, in the USA 800-meter final, um, it really showed how good he was because like he mm. fucking, I think he ran, he went through in like 51 or 50, yeah, like something quick in the in the USA's, but his third 200 of that major championship was in like 25 low or something. So he was, yeah, I mean, like even though you're probably disappointed that you came third, he was at the time, he was just, you know, looking like he was, he ended up, I think he ended up getting tripped in the, in the semifinal of the Olympics, but it looked like he was maybe going to go on to go pretty well in the final. Um, mm. um, and yeah, just to touch on that as well. I mean, I, uh, I ran the, I've run the pre-classic twice in the international mile, but I remember in 2017 running and I was standing next to Andrew Weeding um, and Andrew Weeding's probably one of them. Like he's probably got like one of the biggest names coming out of the Oregon track, uh, Oregon, uh, university track and field and i got introduced and i think i got two claps and then they introduced andy weeding and man it was 
incredible. Like I just remember thinking I would love to be an Oregon athlete purely for the response you get at Haywood Field. So to know that um, you might get that or you will get that at uh, World Champs, I'm, um, I'm pretty jealous. Um, yeah, no, it's pretty special to be a duck at a home at Haywood Field. It's pretty special. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. Um, so, yeah, um, I remember I f- I'm pretty sure like a few days after the NCAAs, you and James West did some time trials, didn't you, to try to try get to try get the qualifier. So I think you maybe around 145, but then that obviously set you up for your for your now PB of 144.35 where you ran it in literally in fucking like the most random fucking meet ever with like no crowd, overcast. Um, so did you just pretty much finish NCAAs and think, all right, fine, third, it is what it is, but let's fucking get this qualifying time now? Yeah, so at the time it was still like gung-ho, like I want to make Tokyo. And yeah, it was after NCAAs, I was like, coach, coach wanted me to kind of chill out and then have another crack later. And he had set up like a little pop-up meet two days later or a day later to get some like US standards and potential Olympic standards for James. And um, I was like, mate, I'm ready to go. Just, just pop me in it. Like just, I just want to race. And uh, I ended up running like 145.21. Oh, that's like right. Of a yeah. yeah. I remember that. This- yeah. <laughs> I knew it was in the this 45s, I- but I couldn't, I, I, yeah. Now that I remember you say that it was just off, wasn't it? Yeah. So like after actually after national, after the NCAA 800, I was so pissed. I went and ran like a 25K long run and that just crushed it. And then Pete told me, uh, Ben told me about this time. So I was like, yeah, put me in it. So I ran, a, I ran two hard 800s, crushed a, like a massive long run. And then the next day I ran this 800 and 145.21, just missed and I was fuming. Uh, so I was in good shape for sure, but um, it just... Uh, I think I was just so frustrated. I just, I was just in such a confident like mindset of like, I'm just going to run so hard. <laughs> and it just, I don't know, like it's a hard, like I think I learned in those races to run really quick. You've got to get out really hard. And, um, and so, yeah, I think it was a two, three weeks later, I ran the 144 and some pop-up little meet. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, I think as well, like I, I reckon I didn't even really appreciate it at the time. Like I just looked at 144 and I was like, yep, it's under 145.2 and you've got the qualifier. But probably didn't appreciate it maybe until I think I was just on the rankings like a couple of months later, um, probably checking out how far I've slipped down because I was once sixth. <laughs> um, and yeah, I remember. So when you ran 144.35, you were second at the time behind Deng. You jumped Ralph DeBell, jumped Jeff Risley, who, you know, Jeff Risley was, um, you know, someone you looked up to. Um, you jumped me, obviously, who you looked up to as well. Yeah, Alex Rose. So some, some pretty big names. Um, and obviously with how Pete ran at the Olympics, you're now third. So I just, I, yeah, I just felt like it maybe just didn't get the, maybe it just didn't get the appreciation of, of how good it was at the time, but obviously you were ultimately rewarded by qualifying for the Olympics and then getting selected. So this episode of the inside running podcast is sponsored by new balance, new balances, fresh foam X version 12 range represents a revolutionary advancement in the material that cushions the high impact foot strikes that occur on roads, tracks, courts, and fields everywhere. 
informed by 3D motion captured pressure mapping and force application data gathered from real athletes, fresh foam is softness quantified.